Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by the other guy. I am Titus, the Year Christian Seeker. Wow, that's a new voice. Hey, uh, welcome everybody, and uh, we have had a couple of really, really great uh, episodes lately. I want to thank uh, the people who have been guest hosts. Uh, so uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you, uh, Teddy. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Darren. Today, think of this as an audition for maybe a more permanent voice in the Christian seat. It's a hot seat. Don't know if his ass can take it. Let's we'll find see, we'll out. Uh, I can't wait. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the subject of evangelism, missionary, personal work, whatever you want to call it. Um. And uh, we're going to be talking about it, uh, like I said, with a new voice in the um, in the uh, blogs. He's already been dubbed Mister T. <laughs> Titus, who the heck are you, and why should we give a damn? So I'm a random dude from Charlottesville, Virginia. I actually grew up in Kenya, Africa. My father was a missionary there, so I spent ten years of my life there. But I was, uh, as far as the topic at hand, I was never really into being a, a missionary. I wanted to be a, a famous Christian rock star or something a lot edgier like that. Uh, but that never really worked out. Um, so when I was around 18 years old or so, I started getting much more interested in Christian mission work. Uh, I read a book by David Platt called Radical, um, which really grabbed my interest, especially in regard to the poverty around the world and all the people who've never heard of Jesus, which I'm sure devastates you. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that, that kind of got my journey started as far as missions goes. And since then, uh, my wife and I have been traveling to India every winter, working with indigenous Christian mission work there. Um, I also have a lawn care company here in Charlottesville, which is totally brainless. So it gives me a lot of time to listen to podcasts. Uh, and that's how I got into the idea of creating my own podcast. Um, so I have uh, a show called That Jesus Podcast. You can find out more about it at thatjesuspodcast.com. And we cover different issues relating to Christian theology, uh, missiology, ecclesiology, lots of good stuff like that. So that's who I am. I've, I've been interested in the Christian atheist conversation for a while. I used to actually have a debate show called Proselytize or Apostatize, uh, where we hosted a lot of debates. That's still going. There's um, some other guys who've kind of taken over it now. Um, but yeah, I'm pumped to see where this conversation goes. Okay. Hey, uh, glad to have you. I've, uh, I've heard a little bit of your work. I like it. Um, so guys, uh, go check it out. I'll, uh, I'll put some links in the show notes. Worth listening to. Thanks, man. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so you're you're an Anabaptist. Yes. What the hell is an Anabaptist? We're anti-Baptist. <laughs> no. So Anabaptist it basically means the rebaptizers, and this was a fringe group of radicals who came out of the Reformation, and they were sort of students of the Protestant reformers. But they were like, hey, look, you know, you guys have got the Bible into the common language. Now that we're reading the Bible, we, we appreciate 
how you are protesting the Roman Catholic Church and a lot of its abuses, but we feel like you're not going far enough. And especially in regard to the church and state uh, mashup, you know, Anabaptists were reading the scriptures and they were like, how, how in the world could these very educated theologians like Martin Luther and John Calvin um, be supposedly the best exegetes of scripture on the planet and be restoring the true church, but still be freaking killing people who they disagreed with. Like the Anabaptists would, would read words like of Jesus, like love your enemies. And they took that very seriously. They read words of Jesus, like my kingdom is not of this world. They took it very seriously. So they basically put uh, the, the Protestants put the Bible sort of back at the center of the, the Christian faith and the Anabaptists put Jesus at the center and the teachings of Jesus and said, look, if we're, if we're starting with Jesus, there's no way we can kill people. There's, and, and so they, nonviolence was a, a core tenet of the early Anabaptists. They were actually persecuted by both Protestants and Roman Catholics. So that was probably one of the most distinguishing factors is their uh, belief in, in nonviolence. And, you know, there's also things like, you know, they refused to swear oaths um, because Jesus said swear not at all, which, you know, of course, was a, a big problem back in that time. That was a, a very important part of society. Um, so, yeah, they were a very persecuted group of radicals who kind of came out of the Protestant Reformation. That that sort of turned into the, the Mennonite and Amish traditions. And, uh, you know, th that is a very large spectrum. It, everything from... Amish and very conservative Mennonite to, you know, Mennonite Church USA, which is pretty liberal. Um, and so kind of on that spectrum of, of Anabaptism, I would probably be somewhere in the middle. Okay, what about Quakers, Friend Church, uh, Friends Church, I guess? Um, those, yeah. Is that still on the same branch? I believe that also came out of the Anabaptist tradition. Okay, um, and and you mentioned uh, Luther and Calvin. Uh, Zwingli, are you familiar with that name? With that name? Yes. Is, it, yeah. is he more the Anabaptist side of things? Um, yeah, Zwingli. If I'm if I'm not getting my history screwed up here, Zwingli was actually one of the mentors of uh, Felix Mons and, and Grebel, who were the guys who originally baptized each other and kicked off the Anabaptist movement. So they were actually sort of upset with Zwingli as their mentor. And uh, he, he was, Zwingli was pretty radical too, but these, these young, they're actually like in their 20s, these guys who started the Anabaptist movement, um, they, they wanted to take it even further beyond Zwingli. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't actually study up on any of this before the podcast. So I'm, I'm going on old memory from back when I researched this a long, long time ago. Um, yeah. Now, Zwingli, uh, I do remember him a little bit. He was a, a kind of an interesting figure. Uh, and I, one, of the, one of the things that I remember about him was per, per, particular to my own denomination, the Churches of Christ in uh -huh. the South, uh, we did not worship using instruments of music, and Zwingli was the kind of person who didn't believe in not only instruments; he didn't believe in singing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was a an interesting guy in that way. So, tell me uh, a little bit about what kind of Christian and Anabaptist you are on the spectrum, because one one of the things that we learn is that there's always a spectrum. Yeah, there's even a spectrum for Calvinism. Uh, yeah, you know, 
Now, I, don't, I don't know if there's a particularly liberal version of Calvinism, but there's conservative and crazy conservative. So sure. you got uh, – so um, first of all, before asking some specific questions, uh, how cozy uh, are you with Calvinism? I'm not cozy at all with Calvinism. I, I think that it – you know, I think scripturally you can make a case for it. I think scripture, you can make a case for both Calvinism and Arminianism. But as far as philosophically, I think it's just a horrible doctrine that makes God look terrible. So I'm not a fan of Calvinism, and Anabaptists have traditionally been Arminian. As far as musical instruments, I actually grew up in a extremely conservative sect of Anabaptism that not only were we not allowed to use musical instruments in our worship, we were not allowed to use, uh, listen to any music with musical instruments in it. Um, so the, the subset was called the Beachy Amish Mennonite Church. Um, and I, I left that, you know, when I was around 19 because of some of those really harsh extra biblical rules. Uh, and so, yeah, I would call myself, I would probably be somewhere in the middle of that spectrum between, you know, uh, Mennonite Church USA and Amish. Okay, so let's talk some specific uh, doctrines. I don't mean to make things uncomfortable for you. But Go we're ahead. Gonna, we, but we <laughs> might make things uncomfortable for you. Homosexuality. Yeah, I knew that was the first thing that was going to come we up. We got it. Look, these, there's, there are certain things that are just level-setting questions. We, we got to know who you are, what kind you of religion figure, you are. got to figure out if I'm a Nazi or not, basically. I got, I got it. Are you a Nazi? Since you since you brought it up, it depends who you ask. I do have a I do no I'm wrong not answer. I am not a Nazi, but a, a tradition. Uh, you know, some extremely left wing people, because I do believe in traditional marriage, would probably call me a Nazi. In that, I believe that any type of sexual relationships out of a one flesh union between a man and a woman are sinful. Um, now, when it comes to the government, I have no interest in promoting traditional marriage through legislation. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Basically, uh, I believe Christianity is an alternative society that is voluntary. And if you want to join this alternative society, there's a lot of things that might make you uncomfortable depending on what type of person you are. So if, if you're someone who likes to look at a lot of porn, uh, that's going to be a problem just as much as you know, if you're gay, uh, you know, you're there, there's going to be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've, you've gone from interview and <laughs> right into preaching now. What's, what's wrong with porn? Uh, never mind. Never. It, it's, a, it's a different show. And I assure you, I have no problem having that show. <laughs> so. Sure, I'll, I'll go there if you want to. I mean, there's plenty of secular groups like uh, Fight the New Drug who are pointing out the problems with porn that have no religious interests at all. So I, I could have that conversation from a completely secular viewpoint if you want. Excellent. Just not today. All right. <laughs> not today. I'm, not, I'm not quite prepared for it today. But it's a, it's a conversation, actually, that I think is, is very culturally important. Yes. And uh, it's one that people are either too squeamish or chicken shit to talk about, uh, or they just don't know what the hell they're talking about, and they want to stay away from it because it sounds yeah. vile. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's a conversation that should be had along with the uh, drug conversation, for that matter. Uh, yeah. Uh, so these are, because these are, these are culturally important 
thing. So maybe maybe put that on your calendar for things to think about the the uncomfortable social topics that no that neither side wants to talk about. I talk about porn with people a lot, so I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, I don't talk about it a lot. <laughs> you just view it. <laughs> I, I look. I don't talk about it a lot. So we were talking about homosexuality. <laughs> um, so you would. I I appreciate this position actually. Um, if I understand it correctly, you personally and religiously think that it is wrong, but your church is um, is positioned uh, against society in such a way that you don't actually think that the public sphere is the place to legislate whether homosexuality is right or wrong. In other yeah. words, you don't care what the government says about it. Absolutely. I mean, this is one area that Christians are very inconsistent in, because if you're going to want the government to legislate morality and LGBT issues, then why not legislate morality when it comes to adultery or divorce and remarriage or, or any of those issues? And I, I certainly don't think that um, same-sex marriage is a worse sin than, you know, adultery or, or anything like that. I think that it's it's been put on this, it's it's been highlighted as like the worst of worst sins, and I just think that that's unbiblical. Like I think uh, lack of care for the poor is just as wicked, or you know, a, a multitude of sins that are kind of look, glossed over in the church. And and when you say homosexuality is sin, I, I don't even like to frame it like that because that makes it sound like if you're a if you're gay, then you're just a sinner. And, and you know, it, that's not true. I mean, there's plenty of, of gay Christians who have chosen to either be married to someone of the opposite sex or to live a celibate life. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, even terms like the gay lifestyle, well, not everyone who's gay lives the same lifestyle. I mean, there's, like I said, there's gay faithful Christians there who, you know, are, are living probably much more holy lives than I am. Um, so that's well, my, yeah, I don't even like know what the gay preaching. lifestyle is anyway. I don't know what, I, yeah, it's I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm living the heterosexual lifestyle, which is kind of boring. I don't, I don't know what any of that means. It doesn't, it doesn't describe a lot about what you're actually live like what your life actually is. I mean, there's a quite a few heterosexual lifestyles and there's quite a few homosexual right. lifestyles. I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm not homophobic. And so if I were to uh, ram my jam into a guy, I don't know how that would change my lifestyle. <laughs> right? I guess I mean, your lifestyle would change for that brief moment. What, how? How would that? How, I mean, even then, how? I have no idea. I mean, I would be cheating on my wife, I guess. Uh, but, but other than that, that's, that's a very heterosexual kind of thing. So I don't, I don't understand how... Uh, where you poke is a lifestyle choice. Yeah. People came here for a discussion on missions and they're hearing a conversation about sex. This is great. Well, that's Skeptics and Seekers, baby. Skeptics and Seekers after dark. (laughs) Uh, Once again, that show, some other time. Um, Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm just appreciating where you are religiously, uh, and I'm sure that you can appreciate um, that this is a part of the religious conversation in it, it, it. There's kind of a Venn diagram, I think, that yeah. you can draw between people who feel a certain way about homosexuality and what their religion 
it, uh, yeah, absolutely. Ultimately. It's the most pressing ethical issue that the Christian church is facing Which right is now. Which is unfortunate. I mean, the Methodist church just split is splitting over it. I mean, it's yes. a, it is it is a big deal. We need to really think carefully how we address it for sure. Or we could stop thinking about it. I mean, honestly, I I don't care who you sock it to. <laughs> so so um, yeah, and and I I actually agree with you. Now my assumption is that one of the predictions of of there being a God is that there are things. In, within his code of ethics that I will disagree with. Like if I agreed with everything mm-hmm. in God's code of ethics, I would probably believe that I'm somehow twisting the scriptures because that's that's a pretty low coincidence that I as a, a human being would agree perfectly with an all-wise maker. Um, so as far as like me personally finding something horrible or disgusting about a same-sex marriage. I mean, I'm a, I'm a 25-year-old person living in a college town or near a college town. My ethic is, it doesn't really find that to be objectionable, but I'm also someone who's submitted to the lordship of Jesus and convinced that, you know, there will be things that, that he outlines that I will disagree with. Sure, that's that's fair. Look, when I was a Christian, I was very uh, anti-homosexual. And when I stopped believing in God, that was one of the first things to drop away because there was no reason to hang on to it. There sure. Was just, there was, you know, outside of religion, there's simply no reason to feel that way. And I, I'm not anti-homosexual. Like, you got to choose your words carefully. Like, I have... I, I that's that is the 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 way a lot of Christians go about this right. conversation. Yeah, no, but I was. I, I'm not saying that you sure. are. I I was anti-homosexual. Sure, I was as anti as as you get there. So. Westboro Baptist yes. style. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe worse. So wow. uh, that said, uh, we can we can leave that question as soon as I ask one more question about it. So, would you vote for a political candidate uh, who is in favor of? Uh, gay mar- making gay marriage legal, which we already have. But uh, is that a problem for you since you feel like you're separated from the world anyway? Um, that's going to take us down a whole nother rabbit hole because I don't vote. I'm a Christian anarchist, and I don't believe that I should coerce my morality on people through you voting. You and I have a lot in common, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, I, so look, my, my church, while not directly from the same branch as yours— you know, when you go down far enough, uh, it's closer to your branch than, say, a Methodist. Yeah. So I suspect that you and I have a lot of uh, beliefs that are similar there. So um, I can certainly appreciate that, and I can I can relate to that. Uh, and believe it or not, audience, I do not find uh, Mr. T's uh, views on this objectionable at all. <laughs> so um, score. Role of women in the church and the home. Should women be uh, subordinate to the to uh, dudes? So <laughs> it's it's funny that you're asking these two questions because when I'm asked these two questions, people think I'm a extreme conservative. And when people ask basically any other theological question or a lot of other theological questions, people think I'm a flaming liberal. Um, now, when when it comes to women, this is this is another issue exegetically that I don't think that the egalitarian position has a lot to stand on. 
um, I think the complementary position um, is is more exegetically uh, backable. Now, but I, I think that this is extremely objectionable if we have a view of leadership, a, a secular view of leadership, uh, where the uh, someone who is in a position of leadership or authority somehow is more qualified, that they um, are, are, are higher and they're better, whereas Jesus's view of leadership is servant leadership, where you know, he knelt down, washed his disciples' feet. He said that the Gentiles, the leaders of the Gentiles, quote-unquote, lord it over them, or they act like they're some great master. But the, the one who wants to be first among you needs to be your last. So if, if we frame leadership in that way, uh, the way I see male leadership um, is one of sort of the women being on a throne and the man kind of walking around, serving her, dusting her head, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that, that's what that doesn't actually make it better, uh, because you're still no, 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 it doesn't. Because you're still saying, well, but the woman is different in this way, so she doesn't get to serve. Uh, maybe, maybe she, she maybe she wants to put a man on the throne and and serve. Sure, and 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 sh- women have plenty of opportunities to do that. I would say that there's a, a few ways in which scripture teaches like for instance men are supposed to um, teach in church women are not allowed to teach as far as in the home the the scripture does say women submit to your husbands it also says submit to each other um so i i would say that like your primary hang up here would probably be men teaching that would be the one way in which uh, you know, the the woman is up on the throne and the man is dusting her head. In any other way, sure, the women women can also serve. There, there's plenty of ways. You know, there's women deacons in the Bible. There's, right. uh, you know, I think women but, should be... But here's be, the thing. Why would either sex need to put either one on the throne? Well, do you... Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, um, but do you think that there is anything besides genitalia that separates female from male? Uh, when you say genitalia, um, I hear that actually as a way of saying um, physical ev- ev- evolutionary core differences. So sure. it's it's not just a matter of whether you have a penis or not, because a man cannot have a penis. Yeah. Just just ask Lorena Bobbitt's ex husband. Sure. Um, doesn't doesn't make you stop being a man. So the, the genitalia actually has less than nothing to do with the question at all. Um, so well, if, if, the, if if you're saying it, did did we evolve differently in some fundamental way? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think socially and physically, yes, but mm-hmm. ontologically, no. Uh, yeah. In in fact, we are all born girls, uh, mm-hmm. and so we you know boys don't begin to differentiate until you know you know ten ten weeks or something like that. It's it's um, that's mm-hmm. that's not the correct number of weeks, but there's a certain number of weeks where the differentiation occurs. Before then, the reason you can't sex a child uh, that early is because they're all girls, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and things start to change um, from there. So. Uh, you know, are they somehow before that change starts taking place? Uh, are they different fundamentally? No, they are not. And simply because there are some gross 
physical uh, differences that occur, that doesn't mean they're different. So let's say sure. you, you have twins and one's a boy and one's a girl, but they have not been infected by social differences yet. Is there any core difference between those two? No, not at all. Not one bit of difference. Um, and so I don't actually see, uh, I mean, I'm interpreting the question the way I think you, th- the, the way I think you mean it. Uh, and I would have to say, no, I don't, I don't see the kind of difference, uh, that, that, uh, so when, when Jordan, becomes. when Jordan Peterson tries to make a case that there's a reason besides, uh, bias within society, that there's more men in say STEM field, uh, research or, uh, careers, w- would you disagree with him in that? Yes. I, okay. I disagree. I, th- with- I, I don't think that I, I, I'm not sure that I would even disagree with you in, in that point. Um, I, I was just saying that, like, if if you do see it, there being some fundamental difference, that's that's kind of all I would need to make the case that our designer would know which rules work best for which gender. Now, if you don't see any fundamental difference, and I haven't researched this enough to disagree with that claim, then yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I w- I would put that in the same category with LGBT issues that it, it may I have no good way of defending that teaching of God, but I don't, once again, that's a prediction of my worldview that if there's an all-wise creator, that there will be ethics that he prescribes that I, as a 21st century, 25-year-old kid, will disagree with. I mean, that this is a fairly, both of these positions, um, your view and my biases are very recent, very Western views like <laughs> this is this is not something that the majority of cultures throughout time has believed on either of these issues it doesn't well, I, mean I, that, I agree with that. that that doesn't mean that we're not right i'm just saying that puts things into perspective and gives you a little humility especially and this this won't work for you but especially for a theist who believes that there's an all-wise creator who is much more wise than than our very brief time window of westernism right here Right. So you're, you're correct that that doesn't work for me. But I, I do have a little bit of humility, a very little uh, bit of humility, uh, in that I don't know all of the answers as far as that goes. But I do know that whenever uh, we have been able to test, scientifically test uh, biases, yeah. the, the biases almost always fail. So, for instance, just, just as an example, uh, the bias of race. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were those who uh, honestly, sincerely, uh, non-racistly believed that black people simply could not perform at the same uh, level of a white athlete. Yeah. Now, today, we look at that and, and say, who could have ever thought such a thing? That seems yeah. so ridiculous. But that was the I, that was the order of the day that that drove yeah. people for a long time until we were able to prove that that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, the bias was, oh, women can't possibly uh, think analytically and do math and science and uh, chemistry and such. Turns out, nope, they can given yeah. the right opportunity. And so I don't, I don't know of many biases that have withstood the test of scientific experimentation. Um, and so a lot, of t- a lot of these biases, the reason they are the way they are, 
is because society is the way it is. Uh, why aren't there more? Uh, why aren't there more black CEOs in charge of tech companies? Why? Why are there not more black engineers at tech companies? Mm-hmm. But it's not because black people can't think in 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 the ways that engineers can think. All mm-hmm. the way down to where they're born, to the opportunities they had in preschool, to the school they went to, uh, to the college they could get into, to the interviews they could get into, to the to the golf courses they could get on uh, onto, to the shoulders they could rub, the, the the entire system is weighted against them. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and so, but that doesn't that doesn't actually confirm the bias, and I mm-hmm. think that there have been enough breakthroughs. So that we can say, uh, yeah, that, that bias actually doesn't hold up. Sure. And I agree with you. I, I don't think that women are less intelligent or less capable. Um, I, I think there probably is some other sort of factor in, in the biblical command there that I haven't discovered yet. And one interesting thing about race, we were talking about Anabaptism earlier, is my ancestors never – own slaves like they they stood against racism and slavery um, that that's one thing that I'm very proud about my heritage is that many of these things that we look back on with horror like the way the Protestant reformers treated their their theological opponents they killed them like the Americans stealing land violently from the Native Americans the indigenous folks uh, like slavery all Anabaptist Christians, because they put Jesus at the center of their theology, have stood against these things. So there, there's my little brag about my denomination. Well, that's good, because my next question was actually going to be about some of the morally questionable passages of the uh, Old Testament God. Uh, so rather than get into too much detail about that, um, I'm, I'm going to skip that and just go straight to my last question here, because honestly— at this point, there's a certain segment of the audience that is demanding it. I can okay. hear them. Where do you stand on the Abraham test? Uh, the Abraham test, let me just uh, lay it out for you briefly. Abraham told, yeah. uh, uh, God told Abraham to kill your son. Yeah. It doesn't matter why and the rest of it. Abraham said, oh, okay. Uh, and so he goes uh, and takes off and does it. As far as I'm concerned, he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, he killed his son. Yes, because look, God stopped him, but he was he was on the he was on the path of doing it. It's not oh, like it's not like he stopped himself, right? So um, the the test, of course, is that Abraham was willing to obey God no matter what he said. Now, mm-hmm. uh, the one who previously occupied your chair would uh, when asked the question, "Would you kill your kid?" If God told you to, he answered yes with oh, with wow. many justifications for why he would do it. <laughs> so, uh, so this has kind of become a, um, a a a thing on this show now that we've got to we've got to find out where people stand on the Abraham test. Would you kill your kid if God told you to? Well, I think that's asking a, a hypothetical question that's a logical absurdity. So I, I can't answer that question. I mean, it, I can. I we can maybe discuss Abraham. I'm not prepared for that really. Um, but I can offer a few thoughts on it. But as far as 
would God tell you, what would you do if God told you to kill my son? Well, God would not tell me to kill my son. What would you do if God told you to do anything that you found morally, uh, 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 morally bad? So, I mean, there, there's a, a teaching within somewhat charismatic, but not hyper charismatic movements within Christianity that are uh, open to God speaking to us outside of scripture that says that if that, that word that comes to you outside of scripture contradicts the new Testament, especially for me, (laughs) um, then that is not from God. Okay. So your answer, it sounds like is you wouldn't do it, but you have to understand the spirit of the question. God wouldn't do it. God wouldn't do it. Right. I get that. But the spirit of the question is, uh, we're past that. We're past the identity part of it. God has shown you his ID. You know it's sure. God. There's no question about whether it's God or not. Sure. The only question is, would you defy God to his face or would you do it? Now, I believe that the only right, best, true answer to that question is no. I would defy God to his face and he can he can burn me on the spot if that's what he wants to, but, yeah, I, but I simply wouldn't up, do you're it. You're setting up a hypothetical situation that I don't grant, and that hypothetical situation is that God would command something that's morally objectionable. And yet he did command Abraham. You agree with that, right? Or do well, you think that, that was more allegorical? Do you think that like was a literal said, story? Well, like I said, that's not a conversation I was prepared to have. There are people who've offered responses to it, like Paul Copen. Are you familiar with his response? I am. I think it's ridiculous, but yes. Okay. I I listened to that on audio as I was working, and I was tuning most of it out, so I forget what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Are you familiar with with Greg Boyd's thesis for most of the objectionable passages in the Old Testament? Yes, I think it's ridiculous. But uh, yes. <laughs> okay, I would I would love to hear your objection to Boyd because I'm not fully convinced by Boyd, but I leave that as an an open door okay. for a possible explanation. I'll tell you what, maybe we can have a uh, broadcast on this topic. Um, but I I can categorize your answer because there are only a few answers that you can give to this question. Uh, one is no, which is the right and best true answer. One is yes, which is the worst and wrong answer. And one is that God would never do such a thing, so I don't have to worry about it. Sure. And, and, the re- and the real point of the question is to see whether you obey God no matter what or whether you maintain the moral reins of your life and you only obey the things that you think are moral or not. That's setting up a well. Of course, I obey God no matter what. But you're you're once again giving me a hypothetical situation that, in my mind, is a logical absurdity. So I'm under no compulsion to answer it. Sure. Okay. So, like I said, that's that's one of the answers, which is I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can I that that's my response. To my my you God would me. never do that. Sure, and yeah. that's that's my response to you asking me if that would happen in my lifetime if if God would command something that is contrary to His revelation. I would say no, He would not. Okay. Now, as far as Abraham and Old Testament violence, that that presents much more of a major challenge than your than your other question. Um, I didn't think that was the topic we were going to address. However, I, I can give you, in my opinion, either Greg Boyd's thesis is correct, either sort of Paul Copen's thesis is correct, or um, I guess a third option would be that it, God has some justification for that that I can't understand. 
Um, I would say one of those three options is probably correct. I don't. I have no idea which option. And having those options doesn't make me feel extremely comfortable about it. It doesn't. It's not like a, a soothing bomb that completely takes away the the discomfort I have with that. However, I, I live with a fair amount of discomfort about the Old Testament, primarily because my theology is based on Jesus, not on the Old Testament. Like, I, I have a view of the covenants it, that states that the New Covenant supersedes the Old and that it completely replaces the Old Covenant. I don't, I don't view any of the Old Testament commands given at Sinai, for example, as binding upon Christians. Um, and so I, I get my theology, my worldview from Jesus and the apostles, not from the Old Testament. Okay, uh, that's fair enough. Uh, so part of what I wanted to devote this season uh, of Skeptics and Seekers to, uh, two things. Uh, one, uh, discovering real Christianity. Uh, my thesis is there is no such thing. <laughs> um, and uh, two, uh, the uh, Jesus, uh, an in-depth look at Jesus and why I don't think he was uh, not only not God, but he wasn't a great teacher or a good man. Um, and so uh, I've dealt with a little bit of this last season, but I wanted to get into it um, more uh, in-depth in a discussion-slash-debate form um, this season. So uh, your your particular brand of Christianity would make you a particularly good foil uh, for these things. So let's just let's just put that on the shelf for now. That we sure. kind of have set the level a little bit. We know a little bit more about who you are and where you're coming from. And uh, now we can begin the show. All right. You uh, you asked before the show. How long does this usually take? <laughs> it's been an hour, we're, and we're just getting started. We're just beginning. Yeah. That's, so. <laughs> But we'll be brief. Um, surely this won't take but a few minutes more. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about evangelism, uh, if if that's okay. Uh, audience, are you ready for us to get down to the subject? I, I can hear them saying, "Yeah, that's what they're saying." Um, so, yeah, evangelism, uh, mission work, personal work. Uh, I'm not sure what word you call it, or if you give these different meanings to these different ideas. Uh, so let me just start with something very basic. And I also want to let the uh, audience know up front, the reason I am grilling Titus and not the other way around at the moment is because Titus didn't really come prepared with a <laughs> statement or a point of view. He just wants to poke holes in my argument, which is fine. But uh, so <laughs> his part will be, I get to grill him. Uh, right. And uh, if he wants to turn the tables, he can. Um, uh, I, as you know, audience, am prepared to talk for an hour by myself. So, I mean, we don't. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> this, this is about Titus. Hey, Titus, do you consider yourself an evangelist? Sure. Okay. That's interesting. I actually expected some um, some equivocation on that. So tell well, me, what, what do you mean by, uh, what is evangelism? What is an evangelist? Well, like you said in, in your article, evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. So an evangelist is someone who simply 
brings that good news to other people and announces that good news to other people. Okay, so good news, everybody. The Seattle Seahawks are uh, are in the playoffs. Yeah, that'd be. Am great. I am I an evangelist? Sure for the, for cool. the Seattle Seahawks. Well, I mean, it's good news. Sure. So you are an, you are you are an evangelist for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm an evangelist for King Jesus. Okay, so obviously there's a religious context here. Um, <clears throat> so. And it's good news. Good yes. news that you're. T- what is without getting too deep in the message part of it right now? Um, in fact, I'll I'll just reserve that question because we're going to talk about the message. Um, what method do you use for sharing the good news? So I used to use a method that was not that great. <laughs> Um, I, I was really into Ray Comfort, and so I would oh, walk up to no. <laughs> I would walk up to complete strangers on the streets and ask them where they're going to go after they die, which is not a great way to start a conversation, um, but it it certainly uh, created some interesting ones. And then I would take them down the whole Ten Commandments trail and point out to them how crappy they were, and then offer Jesus to them. Um, since then, from you know reading a lot of books, studying the scriptures more closely, I've rejected that way of presenting the good news, primarily because it's not at all what Jesus or the apostles did, and secondly, because it's not really good news. So what method do you use? Right now, I teach English to visiting scholars at, from the University of Virginia, and um, I do that for free, build relationships with them through that. And because I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't care about much else, that comes up pretty naturally in the teaching, in the um, time we spend together. And because they're interested in learning about American culture, which I don't think true Christianity is American culture, but anyways, they're interested in learning about Americans um, and they've never heard any, pretty much anything about Jesus or Christianity, they're naturally very interested. And so they ask me questions, and um, I present the Christian message to them as I understand it. And when they're ready to become a Christian, I baptize them, and um, they become part of the church. Yeah. And that's, that's what I do in America. I, in India, I primarily work with um, Indian pastors because they're much more effective than I would be. So I, I try to encourage them, empower them with resources to do that work themselves. Okay. So this is confusing, but also interesting. Um, let's go back to the American part first. So you you teach English to visiting evangelists. No, they're not evangelists. Or visiting executives, visiting what? They're Chinese visiting scholars, so China scholars. will send them over here to, I guess, shadow American physicians and that sort of thing for a time. And they and they need to learn uh, English and American culture. Well, they don't know English well, so they appreciate any English class they can get. Do you know Chinese? No, you do not need to know the other language in order to teach English. Okay, so they know enough of your language so that you can teach them more of it? Yes. Okay. All right. That's that's fair. And um, y- you say that you parlay this into some kind of evangelistic work? 
Sure. Uh, I mean, that that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, as you said, I'm an evangelist. So whatever I do, that naturally flows out of my actions. Okay, but are, so you're taking these classes. So people are coming for one thing, and you're what, inserting Jesus into them? Yeah, and they. So I think your objection is that it's bait and switch. Yeah, is that way? Okay, it sounds and like it. <laughs> so. it. It would sure. Um, they know very well that they're going to be hearing a lot about Jesus at the classes and in the conversations uh, outside of class. They actually, a lot of them attend a Chinese church in town um, because they just want community. Uh, and that's the best place for them to go for community, even though they're not Christians. So I have a, a Chinese Christian friend who has been meeting them there, um, inviting them to English class. And this guy, this guy talks about Jesus constantly. Like he would probably drive you nuts, or maybe you'd like it. I don't know. But I, I think that they're they're pretty aware that if they attend a class or uh, do something that is has been suggested by this dude, that a lot of teaching about Christianity is going to be part of it. And they're fine with it, you know? Okay, now, um, just because this is a question that I can imagine uh, both Brian and Darren are typing up right now. So let me just see if I can get ahead of it. Uh, your classes, are they a state sponsor or are they a private no. enterprise that you're doing? They're completely private. It's okay. completely like, uh, I mean, it's not a big deal. It's, it's like five people in a room. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys, put put away your keyboards. <laughs> it's okay. See, th this is something that um, that people in, in America are so sensitive about, which is why I think my Anabaptist theology has something fresh to offer where I'm not interested in coercing morality on anyone. I'm not interested in using the state for that. Okay. Uh, that's, that's great. Now, when you go to India, you work directly with uh, pastors in India. Yeah. Why do they need you? They don't need me, but uh, I can help them. Well, I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I understand if these people are men of God, who who know God and have a relationship with God, and God has called them to the ministry. Yeah. What the heck do they need some guy from America <laughs> to uh, to spread the word when it's the Spirit that's doing the work anyway? I don't understand that. I just told you they don't need me. The work would go very well without me. However, I can help them, certainly. And, and it's not just because I'm an American. Anyone could help them who has been seeking God and is called by God to Right, but why do, they, why do they need the help? They obviously have pastors. you got to stop using the word need. I'm not saying they need it. <laughs> okay. right. I'm saying it's useful to them. So there's several things that are useful to them. Uh, I read a lot of books. I study the scriptures a lot. So if if and I don't mean to sound arrogant here, but if I know oh you more can you can sound arrogant. I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I know more about Christianity than they do, me teaching them is going to help them know more about Christianity. Uh, financially, our money goes extremely far in India, like forty bucks. A month will help these pastors a ton. So if I give one of these pastors 40 bucks a month, he will be freed up to do way more ministry than he otherwise would have been able to do. So there's, and, you know, I, I can encourage them. I can build relationships with them. There's a lot of ways that I can help them. Not that they need me, but it, it's definitely a boost for them.
Okay. Uh, and with that, I will unleash the keyboard warriors. We'll move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. I hope you hang around um, for the comment section. That's where the fun sure. happens. Uh, so, all right. So that's I, there's a lot more that I want to say about the method of evangelism. I, I personally find evangelism offensive on a number of levels, and the method... Yeah. Is is one of them. Uh, I don't. So is my method offensive? What I've outlined for you? No. Okay. I think it's. I think it's strange, especially the the Indian one. I would. I would have more questions about that, but I don't think it's offensive. Okay. What's strange about the Indian method? Well, uh, so you believe you know more than them, and so that you can share some. some Well, why would you know more than them? Because I've been reading more. But they are Christians endowed by the Spirit of God. Do they that not know? That doesn't mean they're reading more than me. <laughs> well, but do they not know enough? I mean, does it, maybe what you're reading doesn't really enhance. Uh, yeah, no, the, yeah, sure, it will enhance them. I mean, they certainly know enough to preach the gospel and make disciples. Yeah, but yes, what I know will enhance what they're doing. Yeah, so that would—that's actually one of the questions I had when I was a Christian, uh, and so I am not just. Uh, saying things to, you know, love bombs from my position as an atheist to try to make the Christian uncomfortable. I found this uncomfortable even as a Christian. I I simply did not understand going off to other countries to help existing churches uh, do what God has called them to do. If they are qualified to do it, they don't need me, and um, they don't so need me. I don't know why I'm there. Benefited. They can be benefited by me, and you haven't demonstrated that that's not true. Well, I I don't. It, it's not really my goal to demonstrate it. I'm just trying to explain why I find it a bit uncomfortable. Um, either either God is sufficient or he isn't. And it seems God is sufficient. I think this is one. This is something that you need to understand: is that God has chosen to use certain means through which He's going to reach the world. And I believe it actually dignifies and humanifies us in a powerful way that He chooses to use us. So He uses us to accomplish His His purposes. Okay. Well, I I'm, yeah. I don't I don't much I don't much care for the idea of God using humans in this way. We'll talk about we'll talk about that uh, as we go forward, but it, it it doesn't seem to make sense to me. But once again, in terms of going to another country, uh, if God has set up, uh, I would understand it if you were going to someplace who where there is no church and they they have not heard the gospel, and you were the one bringing the message uh, to virgin territory. I don't understand. Uh, you know, someone going to a place where there already is a church. Uh, sure, and, saying, and that's primarily that's the, those virgin territories are primarily what I am focused on. The part of India that I'm going has virtually zero Christians. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to find the few Christians who are there and encouraging them to reach those parts that have no churches. Um, and uh, like I said, there, there are things that I can do that will help them financially and with teaching um, that will benefit them. Another thing that I, I hope to do, I haven't figured out a good way to do it yet, although we have done some, is care for the physical needs of 
those in, in those parts of the world, especially in the part of India where we're going to. There's a lot of flooding and a, a lot of refugees and flood victims who we can help out too. So we're, I believe that there should be just as much effort put into meeting their physical needs as their spiritual needs. Okay, so when you are in India, do you do, you do door knocking? How do, you, how do you spread the word there? Um, so even if we would do door knocking, it would be quite a bit different than in America uh, because in America people hate door knockers. In India, if a strange American came to the door, they would be in, thrilled to invite them in and, and listen to whatever they had to say just because it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing for them. It's very strange and new to them. Um, so what, what we have done in the past is, is go into villages and, you know, just kind of whether maybe pass out literature, which once again is different than in America. In America, people hate that and immediately throw it in the trash. In India, they're going to be actually interested in it. It actually is a gift to them. Um, or we, you know, find someone in the, in the village who is, has a relationship with a Christian or is interested, and they will sort of invite their neighbors and come together, and we'll have tea or whatever and a meal, um, and then I will share the message. And what so do that's you do what, if you reject it? What do you mean reject it? Yeah, if you go to someone and they say, no, 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 thank you, no, thank you. Then I leave. What 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 do you think I would do? I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> I pull out my gun and I say, "Convert or die." That's what That's happens right. in Texas. <laughs> but honestly, like I don't think. Yes, <laughs> I don't think that um, I, I'll be doing as much of that. Sorry, this Texas. <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that a lot this trip simply because uh, I'll probably be deported, um, and the Indian believers with me might be beat up and thrown in jail. So we got to stay a lot more under the radar because of the current Hindu nationalist prime minister who's creating a lot of difficulty for Christians and Muslims there at the moment. Well, that would be something interesting to follow. Um, Probably more in the comments here. Uh, Other questions I have about methodology will just have to... Well, one one last one. What do you think would be ideally the best method in a place like America to spread the gospel? What's What's your... method of choice if it was a perfect world for you? I think I'm doing it, um, building relationships in some way with uh, people from other countries who happen to be living here. I don't think Americans really want to hear the gospel anymore. So I think if we if we have opportunity, and there might be some people called to share the gospel with Americans, sure, go ahead. I just don't think they're going to respond very well. I think what what Americans could possibly respond to would be uh, churches that are actually living out the way of Jesus. Uh, what I mean by that is, is preferably house churches who are caring for each other's physical needs, uh, creating extremely tight-knit relationships and tight-knit communities that provide some sort of um, uh, some sort of a community that a non-believer would actually want to be part of because we live in such a fragmented society with so much loneliness. So I, I think that simply being a Christ-like church and witness in America could be effective. Now, as far as aggressively sharing the message of Jesus, I don't think Americans want to hear that anymore. So if, if you're living here, I would suggest reaching non-American immigrants. Okay. Um, I, I actually like your answer. And I'm very, I'm very disappointed. Yeah, no, I'm very disappointed. 
uh, over that. So let me see if I can get get someplace more interesting. Because <laughs> I was prepared let's to go do... back to let's talk about homosexuality. Yeah, what do you think about homosexuality? <laughs> oh no, no, we we got we got more here. Uh, so the message, um, you and I are going to have uh, we're going to lock horns here. All right. Um, let let me let me just start generically. Uh, you think that God wants to, wants you to share a message. Yeah. What, what is the message you think God wants you to share? Be specific. So, yeah, I'll, and I'll have to kind of go into a little bit of detail here because I think that the the word gospel and the understanding of what the gospel is has sort of been misrepresented, especially by Calvinism. Um, I w- gospel simply means good news, like we've talked about earlier, and it was actually a word that was already being used in the time of Jesus to announce the good news of the victory that Caesar and the the peace, the justice, and the the military victories that Caesar was accomplishing. So it was a politically loaded statement. In fact, back then they would say that Caesar is Lord. They would say that a, a messenger would bring the good news about the peace and justice that that Caesar is bringing. So these are are politically loaded terms that Christians borrowed to describe their king. Uh, And and so I I see Christianity primarily as describing uh, a very real nation um, that is headed by Jesus, and a, a messenger of that nation is one who proclaims an objective reality that Jesus is the king of that nation. So that's the, I would say that's the first point, that there, that God's rule and reign, the nation of God is coming back to his planet after being pushed out through darkness, and that Jesus is the king of that rule and reign, and um, that if you want to be part of this nation, there are certain stipulations, and I, but I wouldn't even call these stipulations or responses necessarily the gospel i would just say this is a response this is how you would respond to the gospel but the the gospel is primarily a proclamation that jesus is king and that that his nation is extending an invitation for you to be its citizen okay and uh why is it so important to you that i hear this message and not just me but that people hear this message in general um, I think that if you lived by the ethics of the nation of Jesus rather than the ethics of the nation of America, you would uh, prosper and you would do a lot better. <laughs> uh, that, that's okay, a so simple. that's a practical reason, but is that the is that the real reason? That's the primary reason. The an, another reason would be uh, Jesus commanded me to do it, and so I'm obeying him. Um, and I would That's say a theological that, reason we'll touch sure. that on. Uh, any others? And I mentioned the afterlife last because I don't think that that is primarily what Jesus or the apostles proclaimed when they proclaimed the gospel. But that would be another reason. I don't want you to be annihilated in hell. Um, wait, 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 annihilated? Is yes, I'm an I'm an annihilationist. I don't think that Scripture teaches that anyone will burn forever. Okay, so we'll we'll get back to that in a in a moment. Let Let's just take those one at a time. Uh, the practical reason. Okay, uh, thank you, but I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy with the practical utility of my life, so I don't need your message. How do you respond to that? 
Well, if that's coming from you, I would look at why you think that. And I think the primary reason why you think that is because you don't believe in a God, right? No, the primary reason is I'm doing fine in life. Okay, so if if there's nothing compelling about this this alternative society that I'm presenting to you, then, yeah, I, I mean, that that's a fair response. And I would say, okay, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not forced to join this nation. I, I think that part of why you would probably say that is because there's been a lot of screwed up Christianity in America that you look at and you no. say, I don't, I don't want no, that. No, that's not it. I, I, if there was a God and I knew there was a God, in fact, sure. your God, I knew that your God, your God lives next door to me. I see him every day. Yeah. But if your reasoning is I should worship him because of the, the practical benefits, my life would be practically better. I don't need that. My life is, uh, in practical terms, just fine, thank you. So, you know, like I, would, I would help your God out if he wanted me to bring his mail to him when I checked my mail every now and then so he'd save him a trip. But otherwise, I don't need to worship your God for that reason. So that strikes me as a pretty bad reason. Well, I don't – so to clarify, I don't think that your life will necessarily practically be better. I think that you will have more purpose and more fulfillment and more joy and peace. However, you might face more suffering than if you were not a Christian. So I just you're, not really, you're not that. really selling this well. Uh, I, I'm not – so I'm not necessarily <laughs> – that's not really my goal. My goal is simply to proclaim something and to invite you to be part of it if the Spirit is moving in your heart and if this is compelling to you. Okay. So I think that if you saw a community of Jesus followers who were, who were actually living out the ethic of Jesus, I think it would be compelling to you. Like, for example, when I'm talking to you in this conversation, a lot of what I say is – a lot of what I hear you saying is this is a quite a bit of less objectionable form of Christianity than what I've heard from other people. And I think if you actually saw a, a community living out the teachings of Jesus, I think it would be compelling to you, and I think you would perhaps choose to join it. Now, if, if you— There are if, all kinds of communes and covens and things like that that I would find attractive. This is more than my sure, audience and I, ever wanted my, to know. I think uh, the community of Jesus would compete with those and, and would be more compelling. If, now, I, if, if I saw a society, a special society, living a certain way that I found compelling— uh, I would I would think to myself, huh, I think I'd like to uh, join that society. Sure. So just as a practical, in practical terms, no version of Christianity has it presented itself that way to me. Now, that wouldn't mean that I would believe its propositions, but I would certainly be interested in enjoying the benefits of that. And right. I have not seen any benefits from Christianity and, from a practical And that doesn't surprise me because I think Christianity in America in the 21st century really sucks. But I think there was something about Christianity in the first century that that obviously attracted people in that way, and, and, and in other parts of the world and other times of history has definitely pulled people in. I would have found the vision of Christianity in Acts compelling. Great. Well, that's what I'm yeah, trying I, to— I think that I can say that if I were of a certain socioeconomic class, yeah, um, I think I could have found that very compelling. That doesn't mean that I would have believed the propositions, but sure. I would have certainly found the benefits of being a part of that community um, compelling. You, you could have had something to sell, but in the modern day, you're interested in me understanding this message because of practical reasons. It just doesn't cut it for me. It would downgrade my life. It wouldn't upgrade it. 
I don't think you can say that until you have observed the type of community I'm trying to describe. Right, and since you can't demonstrate that kind of community to me, to me the only kind of community I can compare it to are the ones that I know about. And so uh, returning to those would downgrade my life. It wouldn't upgrade them. Now, that said, there are still well, aspects. There's still a community of Jesus that's founded, that, that, that functions like the Acts Church did, if you think that's so compelling. Why don't you become a Christian and create that kind of community rather than complaining that there's well, none I, of I was a Christian and I tried. You uh, tried to create that kind of a community? Uh, yeah. You would Why be, didn't it work? You would be amazed at the things that I tried that didn't work. Why didn't it work? <laughs> I, I think it didn't work because that's just not what people are and ultimately want. Well, maybe uh, you should move somewhere where that's where they want and live in that community. Maybe. I don't. I don't. I don't denounce. Uh, I don't uh, doubt your proposition, or denounce that you, that we could come up with some version of society that would be practically better than the one we live in. I'm a utopianist in that sense. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Uh, I, I believe that we can create a better world. Now, I'm not a magical utopianist. I don't believe that the world's going to magically get better. I don't think that there's some supernatural being that's going to make it better. But I think that we can make it better. I think that if we want another world, which is basically literally what utopia is, yeah. um, then we can make it. We, it's within our power to do it. And I think you're describing Christianity. Like, that's the kingdom of God and, and the new creation that was inaugurated with Jesus and that is slowly taking over the world is what you want. I, I think that you don't think it's what you want because you've seen so much distorted Christianity. But more than anything, I would say Christianity is that is like I said, the kingdom of God, which you can also say the utopia of God, once again taking over the world like it was in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, well, when you got some practical examples of that, get back to me. I'll take a look. The um, book of Acts. The book of Acts is a practical example. I can't live in the book of Acts. And... Go start a community based on the ethics of the book of Acts. Stop complaining. You go start a community based on I'm the book of Acts to. and then show me. Okay, I will hit you up when I get that rolling. I Literally, I'm trying all I can to get that started. It is difficult in America, but I, I will let you know when I have that, and I'll invite you over and we'll have a beer and, and hang out in this community. Okay. Uh, your own. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So... Um, the second reason was theolo theological, and that to me uh, was actually the worst possible reason why you could care, which is that God told you to. So you have to understand it from my perspective. I don't believe in gods sure. or demons, but um, the devil made me do it is not a thing that makes me feel comfortable. If someone's, you know, I say, why did you kill that puppy? Well, the devil made me do it. The devil told me to do it, and so I did yeah. it. You wouldn't find that compelling. I don't find yeah. it any more compelling when you say that God told me to do it. Okay, I mean, if you don't believe in God, I, I can see why. But, I mean, that's a, a different discussion. Right, but, I mean, you're, that's, that's what you're having to share to people who don't uh, otherwise believe in God. So no, you're asking you... me why I do it as a Christian. And if you were a Christian, I think it, it would be a compelling reason. So I, you, you're not asking me as an atheist. I'm not an atheist, so you're not asking an atheist why he preaches the gospel. You're asking a Christian. Sure, that's a fair point. But I'm also trying to share with you why I don't find that compelling. Um, and you why... shouldn't find it compelling for you, but you should find it compelling for me. Yeah, but you should also understand why someone like me would be nervous about an answer like that. 
I don't know why you're nervous about that answer as it pertains to me. I can see why you'd be nervous if I'd be saying, you should go preach the gospel because of God you don't right, believe but in. Right, but once again, if you had told me you do it because the devil whispers in your ear and tells you to do it, I would, I would be very nervous about that. The, that's a, you're talking about a, a something bad that I do, and I'm doing it because the devil. That's sort of like me making. I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand your point. Are you saying someone's making an excuse for a bad action? No, I'm not saying. I'm saying that what, you can call evangelism good or bad. I actually don't think it's a, a good thing. But let's say it's a good thing. If the reason you're doing it is because a demon sits on your shoulder and whispers and tells you that's what Lord Baphomet wants you to do. Uh, I find that to be a disturbing answer. And I find it a disturbing answer anytime a human says, well, I'm doing this because it is the will of this invis- invisible uh, alien non-human being. Uh, that's well, not, a, that's find, not a good answer. You find that, not, that alien non-human being as someone who is infinitely wise and, and loves you and wants what's best for you, then would it not be wise to obey them? No. Uh, I would well, I would find the answer disturbing all the same because that just tells me you're being influenced by some uh, foreign creature that I cannot access, and he can tell you things, and you will do things because he says so. And we might have a problem the moment he starts telling you to do things that are uh, well, harmful. Once again, you're bringing in a logical absurdity, a hypothetical situation that, according to my worldview, is a logical absurdity. But I find I your God, if he existed, to be evil. I, I don't find your God to be more good than Satan. So if, sure, I, were, if I were to believe in your God based on the biblical story, he's no different than the demon to me. And so when you say, okay. God told me to do it, and so I do it, I hear it, the devil told me to do it, and so okay, I do it. So- so that makes sense why you would see that as problematic. If you think an evil being is telling me what to do, then of course w- what I do would be problematic. So the question is whether this being is evil or not, not whether I'm justified in doing what I'm doing because the being told me to do it. I'm, I'm perfectly justified in, in doing what this being told me to do because I believe this being is not evil. And so the question is not whether I'm justified or not, the question is whether this being is actually evil or not. No, but I do think it creates a, a little bit of a challenge in society when half of the people in society are walking around uh, doing things and their motivation is because their invisible friend told them to. I, I think that's problematic. Okay, it would be problematic, problematic if that invisible friend was evil for sure. I think it's problematic anyway. If that problematic, okay, let's go to a hypothetical situation. If that if that invisible being was all wise and loved every human being and wanted what's best for them and instructed them to do what was best for them, why would that be problematic? Okay, I don't know, but I have no uh, reason to believe that that's the case with the invisible being in question because different people have different ideas of what this invisible being wants them to do. So uh, it's, it's really no different to me when you say the invisible being told me to evangelize to India and another person says the invisible being told me to bomb an abortion clinic. Sure, so you compare it to the revelation of the invisible being and saying which one is being more consistent. Well, it depends on what part of the revelation you're looking at, but... Um, yeah, sure. I, don't, I don't find the I don't find the Bible to be a particularly uh, morally inspiring book. Um, so, well, I'm a Christian, and so I base my views on the New Testament, 
and the New Testament would never tell anyone to bomb an abortion clinic. Okay, so if we just cherry-pick and narrow it down to specific parts of your revelation, then that's that's fine. We might can it's, we might can carve out an argument. It's not cherry-picking. It's doing what the revelation itself tells us to do, which the Old and New Testament zero in on Jesus and say that he is the full revelation of God's character. Okay, well, I... I got a pretty good revelation of God's character when God was acting and speaking directly and his chroniclers, chroniclers were writing it down in real time. And that comes back to how we view the Old Testament, whether Boyd's thesis is correct or Paul, uh, Paul Copen's. So, I mean, that, but that's a different discussion for a different time. You know, I, we, we can go there and, and we can, you know, try to parse that out, but that's not what I'm prepared to do. What I'm saying is I'm doing what the Bible tells me to do, which is narrow down our revelation primarily to Jesus as the full revelation of the Father, much more full than the Old Testament. I think even the Old Testament makes that clear, um, and, and also the teachings of the apostles, and you will not get bomb and abortion clinic from that. Okay, then we will tackle that at another time. Uh, All right. I appreciate your answer. Uh, why? Uh, so before I ask you why... Why is it important to you to do this? But why is it so important to you that I hear the message? So that's that's kind of the second part of this. So we we get that you do it because um, because uh, you think that there are practical benefits. You think that God wants you to do it, and you think that you're saving me from some doom, and you know you care about me in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, creepy that you care about me in this way. You, you don't even know me. Um, but um, yeah, why is it why is it important that I that I give a damn? Well, I mean, if I'm going to be doing this for those three reasons, you hearing is part of that equation. Well, not really, because you can just be satisfied with God told you to do it, and you fulfilled your part. But presumably, you care that I believe you. Yeah. That's a, second, that's a secondary thing. Why does it matter to you that I believe you? Well, I've heard a, a lot of testimonies of people having their lives improved after hearing and embracing this message. So I want as many people's lives to be improved as possible. Okay, so what happens to me if I just reject your message? Because so far you haven't told me anything compelling. Let's let's pretend that you have uh, given a full presentation of the gospel. I know that you have not, uh, but let's just pretend that you have. I uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Don't need it. What happens to me now? Um, you continue living the way you are living. And then what? Don't don't be shy. Be specific. Are you what's, talking about what happens after you die? Sure. What's the ultimate consequence? Of me telling you to get lost. I think you'll miss out on eternal life and new creation. And ultimately, you'll miss out on knowing your creator, on bearing his image. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. So yeah. Let's, let's get straight to the, to the really good stuff here. Uh, sure. Hell, annihilation. Do I get raised up and burned again or killed again in some way? Do I just stay dead when I die? What, what manner of hell is awaits me if I tell you to get lost. Well, Jesus said um, some people will be beaten with many stripes and some with few stripes, so I- I'm not sure. I'm going to be how- beaten? 
Yes, you will be beaten with either many or Dang. <laughs> you will possibly be burned and then you will cease to exist. Oh god. This <laughs> this is not this is not the kind of annihilationism I was expecting. I was expecting the nice guy annihilation. <laughs> Uh, what, where what, you're, what you're part dead of and stay dead. sounds good to you. I mean, well, the- uh, honestly, if if what you're saying is you die on Earth and you stay dead and you're annihilated, that's great because that's what I expect anyway. But you're saying, oh no, no, you're going to be raised and yes. then tor- tortured and then you'll die. <laughs> You will, yeah, you will, I, I'm not sure how... That's Annihilation I'm Plus. I'm not sure if you'll be tortured or not. You will definitely be killed in a violent way. Beating, I, being beaten with many stripes sounds torturous to me. Well, if, if you're Hitler, you'll be beaten with many stripes. If you're a pretty nice guy, you'll be beaten with few stripes. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about this stick I'm beaten with, or is it more of a whip? Is it like it's the... It's not great. It's not great. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, my God. I... What is your name? Kota! It's Kota already, okay? <laughs> hey, you wanted to know what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you don't have to hit me again with that thing. Kota! Would you like some tea? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sir. Oh, yeah, you would have to beat me more than once. <laughs> In fact, we can negotiate on the way to the whipping post. If you, yeah, if you live a really moral life, then I think scripturally, I can say that you'll be beaten a lot less. Okay. I don't, I don't actually take that literally. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is, it's not going to be great, and it probably won't be better than being beaten. Um, I do not believe that anyone will be sustained by God for eternity in order to be tortured. I don't think Scripture teaches that. I think that makes God out to be a monster. But but that doesn't mean that it's going to be great. <laughs> well, how long will they be sustained? Uh, because I don't know. It how are you like the, Are you the good guy? Well, I thought so, but one never knows. Now you got me worried. So uh, let's, say, let, let's just say Hitler, uh, because yeah. everybody's waiting to torture that guy. For sure. Um, In your version of hell, does he live longer to be tormented more than a good guy who just didn't believe? Uh, And so let's say his his torture only lasts one minute. Does Hitler get 10 minutes? Does he get 10 years? Is is that how that works? I don't know. That's not specified, but I mean, you can. Well, is that how you think? I mean, this is all your imagination yeah, as far as I'm something concerned. something like that, yeah. Okay, so if, even if you say a person isn't tortured forever, a person could, in your model, be tormented for a long time before being allowed to die. Is that correct? I think, well, I think Hitler is a good example. I think he, whatever amount of torment he justly deserves for all he did, he will receive, yes. But that, that could be a long time. time, right? Yes, yeah. And wouldn't you want that? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I do not want You don't Hitler... want Hitler to face any consequences for what he's done. He's already faced consequences for what he's done. He's dead. Sure, but we all die. That's not much of a consequence. Well, I mean, if you he's if you if you're trying to if you're trying to get me to say what kind of revenge I won't take out on Hitler. I I don't sure. know. I mean, it was it happened a long time ago to people who are not me, to people who I don't know. 
uh, to people whose relatives I don't know, and I don't mean to to downgrade this because the slave trade happened. How how much sleep are you losing over those people? Uh, look at the people who suffer uh, in various parts of Africa. I don't know if you've visited Africa, but there are lots of people who suffer I there. Grew up in Africa, right? So they're long they're a long ways away from from us today, and they're being tortured right now by tin pot dictators. Uh, how much sleep do you do you lose over them? I don't know. I so. I can't say that I've got a whole lot of uh, hate built up for Hitler, um, and I don't know what kind of torments he "quote unquote" deserves. I don't. I don't know I don't that I, That's why I leave it to God. I don't know that I think he deserves any. Okay, I mean that's fine. If that's your opinion. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't do many antisocial, harmful things, but I don't. I don't think that the answer to someone doing harmful antisocial things is to tally that up somehow in some Bayesian way and then pay it back. It, I, I, would, I would agree when it comes to humans. I think humans are very bad at that sort of thing um, because of various reasons. I would say that a just judge it w- is pretty good at that uh, if he's the creator of the universe. Um, and so I would punt to him there well okay i i would simply disagree and i think that if what the christian is saying is that the worst thing that can happen to a person is that you die then death is the punishment for all who don't believe for the christian there is no death you you get to live forever you don't actually die you merely transition so if you're talking about what a punishment would be to a being who has all power and magic and able to create an afterlife and so forth, let the dead, let the evil dead stay dead yeah. uh, and let the just live on. That, that okay. does seem to me like an appropriate and fitting uh, justice that I would be quite satisfied with. So then some kid in Africa who was a... You know, a fine kid did nothing wrong and suffered and died because he didn't have enough food is being punished worse than Hitler in that case. Yeah, well, life... It's a very unjust universe that as an atheist, you just have to live with. The universe is screwed up and unjust. But as a Christian, 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 we have some sort of a vision for ultimate justice actually being meted out and that poor kid in Africa being comforted and Hitler being punished. Right, but if that poor kid is comforted, for all eternity and Hitler ends after 60 years that that seems like justice has been paid out mm-hmm. yeah uh, well okay that that makes sense um, I guess it depends on how much you dislike what Hitler did if you were a, a Jewish Holocaust victim you might probably disagree with that I would suggest I have people who done have done me harm no, I have never been have murdered. Done near, nearly what Hitler did to Jews. I, I haven't been murdered, sure. which is true. But there have been people who have done me much harm. Uh, there, there is harm besides ultimate, you know, torture and death. Uh, and I, I can tell you that there's some there's some so, social harms that feel here's, worse here's than the that. Deal. My view of annihilation is simply that sinners will be reckon, will be uh, resurrected judged and annihilated now whatever amount of torture it is a part of that i have no idea and if if your view is correct that any amount of torture or especially an extended amount of torture is unjust and if that's correct then that's what will happen they won't be tortured for a long time so like 
I, I mean, my, my view of annihilation doesn't require a certain amount of torture that is unjust. It simply says God is the judge. He will meet that out as he sees fit. Yeah, well, so I think the idea of resurrecting people who are dead to well, kill them again is, is a type of sadism. That no, I would think, only, I think would only satisfy a monster. Wrong. <laughs> I want you to know that you were wrong. <laughs> well, if God wanted to do that, he could give us a moment of clarity just before we die. Uh, oh, you were wrong. There's, there's no reason to dig a person up and say, ah, you were evil, going to kill you now. <laughs> Start that cycle of fear all over again. That's, that's torture, and it's ridiculous. They're already dead. Sure. Uh, well, I but, mean, but that, you, that you got some mad. God's got some mad that he hadn't worked out yet, so he's so, got to raise you and and hurt you some more and kill you again. Tell me, what if he's still mad? He's going to raise you up again? Is he just going to keep doing that? Reincarnated I, hell. I mean, yeah. I mean, what? I don't understand how that's justice. If humans had the power to do that, just putting it in in strictly secular terms, if we had the magical power to raise people up and give them some kind of justice after the fact, I guarantee you that the, no civilized society would do it. Yeah. We I would agree. not do that. There's several factors at play here. One is that humans really suck at justice. They're motivated by tribalism and by hatred and revenge, whereas God does not have those hindrances. The other thing to, to consider is that proponents of eternal conscious torment generally bring in an argument about um, the the honor of God and the holiness of God and how um, sinning against a being like that is is evil to the point that, that that sort of punishment is justified. And I don't think it's it justifies eternal torment, but you could use some form of an argument like that to describe why people are resurrected and annihilated to saying that God is a, a God of holiness and of uh, great honor and glory and that, and his honor has been desecrated by these people. And that's why well, he, then he shouldn't it. have made beings that could desecrate him. So he made beings who can freely choose whether to desecrate him or not to desecrate. Well, that's him. on him. Screw that guy. No, he, he saw that the potential good of having beings that freely choose him outweighed the evil of beings that uh, chose not to follow him, and that's why he chose to make humanity. Okay, he, then if what he wanted was the good to come out of it and the good people to make the choice, then he should stop with the torture and just take the good people that he wanted in the first place and leave the dead evil to the dead. But, but that's not good enough for him. No, he's royally offended. He's got to go back for a second bite. Absolutely. I mean, so, you don't yeah. like that, but I mean, that's God is God is going to punish sinners. Yeah. And if you don't believe in God, then I mean, I, you can go ahead and disagree. If if there are good reasons to believe that Christianity is true, then you know that's what Christianity teaches, and that's the fact. Yeah. So I don't. I, think, be I don't believe in your version of the bad news. In fact, I don't believe in any version of the bad news. There's no bad news. There's no hell. See, what, what you've done. What you've done in this conversation is you've camped out as much as possible on part of of my presentation of Christianity that is negative that I did not want to camp out on, and that you find the most objectionable. But the negative so part is 
key. And I, so I don't want you to think that I'm being unfair. And I certainly don't want the audience to think that I'm being unfair. This is, this is crucial. In fact, I, I wrote this question in, in the list of questions that I have. And so uh, if, I, if I reject your bad news, uh, we'll call it the bad news part of the message, is there even any benefit of you pushing ahead with the rest of it? Because, you see, I don't actually believe any version of Hill um, that anyone's presented, not just your version. Although, frankly, I find your version one of the more disturbing versions. I actually prefer eternal conscious torment <laughs> because uh, it's a set it and forget it kind of thing. This is, this is God just being pissed off and saying, you know, you're not dead enough for me. <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to raise you up and do it again. Uh, well, either way, God it right this time. Up and, and does something to them. Right, I'm but I, I don't, I would, so either, either leave them dead or, um, or punish them for eternity or what your, what your suggestion? You would, just you would rather be tormented for eternity than tormented for five seconds. No, is that what you're saying? no. The fact is, I'm just telling you that it's, it doesn't make as much sense to me. Uh, but I don't believe any of it, so it doesn't matter. What I, am, what I am asking you right now is if I'm a person, you've made this presentation, I know it's not an important part of your pitch, but you tried to do the important part of your pitch. You tried to give the good news and, you know, life with Jesus and life's going to be better, and, and I just say, yeah, no, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm really happy uh, with where I am. And maybe reluctantly, reluctantly, you tell me about the bad news. And mm -hmm. I say, yeah, sorry, just don't believe it. Yeah. Is there any point of you trying to present the good news to someone who simply rejects the idea of hell? I, well, I would want to know why they reject the idea of hell, and then I'd want I just to don't talk believe about it. That. I just don't believe it. I think I think you're. It's a fairy tale. It's, it's sci-fi. You're making it so, up. So, so what? What is set up this hypothetical situation a little more? Does this person believe the rest of the Christian message? Uh, no, I have no point in believing the Christian message. Okay, well, if you don't believe the rest of the Christian message, then no, he shouldn't believe the Christian message. <laughs> if, you, well, if you just don't believe in hell but believe in the rest of it, then that's a conversation we can have. Yeah, well, so I don't, I don't know why I would be compelled to believe any of it, because my life is good right now. Mm -hmm. uh, practically speaking, you can't really offer me anything that... Uh, I would want to trade my life for right now. And this is not to say that I'm wealthy or anything. Uh, people listening, I am not. Uh, I'm also not healthy. <laughs> I am not. Uh, I also don't have tons of friends uh, surrounding me all the time, so none of that's true. And yet, I have a life that I find uh, perfectly satisfying. And there, uh -huh. there isn't anything that you have on offer right now that would make me more satisfied with life than what I am. So mm -hmm. just from a practical perspective, that fails. And if, if you attempt the hell story, and I just tell you, there's no circumstance that you can get me to believe that, mm -hmm. what do you have left? Well, in, in that case, I would stop presenting my message to you. I, I think you're setting up a scenario where someone rejects the gospel, which isn't actually that uh, unusual for me. <laughs> this happens quite regularly. So at that point, I share the gospel with someone else. Okay. Um When you get ready to share the gospel, do you ask them, hey, have you heard this before? <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Or, or do you I, assume that everybody needs your message or that people have never heard what you're saying? I definitely do that in India because a lot of the time they have not. 
Um, in America, if it's an American, I assume they have, and I actually share the gospel a lot less with such people. Um, if it's a Chinese person who I'm build a relationship, yeah, I, I ask them that because it actually is a pertinent question because they a lot of times have not. Okay, but you're but you're willing to walk away from it if they've said, yeah, I've heard that, I'm not interested. You're good with that. Um, well, generally. People, a lot of times people have heard a distorted version, so I'd say, what have you heard, and, and hear what they've heard. Oh, and there we go. Just... Yeah, you haven't heard my version of the gospel. Um, well, do, you believe that, do you believe that truth is objective? That's, that's, a, that's another topic. <laughs> that's... Sure, but if, if you did believe in if the, the truth I mean, I don't mind off topic. I'm, that's a three-hour discussion. If, if, <laughs> sure. If, if, someone, if someone is stating something about Jesus that is not true, and if I believe that there's that truth is objective, then it makes perfect sense to contradict what they heard about Jesus and present them with, with what I believe is objective truth. Sure. I mean, this is, an example would be Islam says that Jesus was not crucified— um, and so that that either Jesus died on a, a cross or not, that one of those is true and one of those is not true. So if someone has heard a distorted mer- version of the gospel, where it probably wouldn't be that that's distorted, but another part of part of the gospel, and of course I'd want to try to present them. Yes, with in what in what you're asking, I do believe that truth is objective, but I think you're answering the wrong question. You may be answering the question that I ask, but it's not the one that I. It, the truest intention of my heart. So rather than continuing there, let me just say, what if the answer is, yeah, I appreciate it. Not interested in your message. Do, do you walk I away or do not? not share it. Okay. If someone does not want to hear it, I do not tell them it for sure. If, if they've told me, I do not want to hear this. I'm not going to tell them it. So if you believe that God existed and that the claims of Christianity were true, would you do evangelism? Uh, no. So you would disobey Jesus and allow people to experience the fate of eternal death and uh, miss out on the benefits of the community of, of Jesus because of what reason exactly? I don't like the way the question is framed. I wouldn't consider it disobeying Jesus. You see, I was a Christian. Uh, so you don't you don't have the benefit of knowing all of my history, but I was a Christian for most of my life. I was a minister, in fact, and I've been a leader of some description in three different denominations. So this is not a hypothetical question to me. Uh, uh-huh. It is uh, it is a real question. Uh, so I'm 49. I'll be 50 in April. Uh, I was willing to declare myself not a Christian at around 40, 41, somewhere in there. Uh, so. And I was I was baptized at seven. I started preaching at twelve. Um, I may have been a bit of a wunderkind, uh, <laughs> very very bad German. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, um, yeah I was. Um, so th- that was me. Um, so I can I can say legitimately, no, uh, I would not uh, evangelize because I certainly didn't do it uh, late in my Christianity. I didn't. Um, certainly not in, not in the way that, uh, I think most people would think of, uh, an evangelistic method. And no, I don't think that Jesus ever commanded us to do it. So I, I would reject that part of it. And that's one of the reasons why I had a change of heart on evangelism. So I used to believe in it. Uh, but even as a Christian, I changed that point of view. 
So you think that Jesus was just speaking to his apostles before he ascended and not to, by implication, the rest of us? Correct. Okay, based on what? Based on the fact that he was speaking to his apostles. So your your understanding of Scripture morphed from... Well, actually, here's a problem with what you're saying. Jesus said nothing to us, did he? He, he said everything to his disciples and his apostles. That's correct. So you were a Christian who believed that nothing that Jesus said had any binding effect on you as a Christian? I think that less of what he said has a binding effect than what a lot of people think. So just to give, just to give you an example of uh, specific versus general, uh, Jesus said tw- uh, twice to, uh, in, in different occasions, uh, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Yes. One of them, he was talking to a person specifically. And if sure. that's the only time he had said it, then I would have said, well, that's not a general command. But sure. he also said it to a crowd. Yeah. And, and then I would have to say, well, okay, that is a general command. I'm not sure it was a crowd, was it? Wasn't it just his disciples? No, it said it was okay. a crowd. It okay. was a crowd. So it, it, was, it was more of a general thing, uh, a part of his sermon uh, yeah. that he preached. And one gets the idea that this was the kind of thing he said in public. Yes. Uh, so, it, you know, we get a snippet of one time when he said it, but we don't have a recording of every time he spoke. Um, mm. And so, you know, a person kind of has a, a motif, uh, if you will. They have um, a, a way of speaking and certain things they bring up in all of their speeches. And we get the idea that the things that are recorded are the types of things he said a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is why I would say, well, yeah, you can you can consider that general, even though it seems like a strange thing. He he seemed to have meant it generally, and then mm-hmm. there are things that he said specifically to his disciples that do not apply. So, for instance, an, an example of that would be when his disciples are uh, arguing. Uh, I think it's uh, Peter and James, right? I, they're arguing who's going to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left. And, you know, they're, they're divvying up the, the positions in, in the kingdom when it comes. Um, and, and Jesus answer to them was not a generic answer to everyone. He, mm-hmm. he was answering that specific question uh, to his disciples. When Jesus uh, told his disciples uh, after he, um, uh, had done a thing with the fig tree. Look, uh, you marvel at this, but I tell you, uh, if you say to this mountain, be moved, it will be moved. Uh, he's talking about a specific amount, uh, mountain in a specific place uh, where his disciples were. He's talking to his disciples. I don't actually think that is a general order that says everybody can do that. I know a lot of Christians disagree with me on that. So at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the, the Gospels, when Jesus is giving a final charge to his disciples, his particular handpicked 12, and he is looking at them and, uh, you know, how do we proceed now that you're going to heaven? Here's how you proceed. Those are those. That's his final charge to his handpicked disciples. It does not apply generically, um, and so yeah, that's my case for that. And I think that my case is better than yours in in that sense. I understand that it is not um, necessarily the the mainstream point of view, but I think that most people are just wrong about that. Sure. I, I mean, I would say that I'm a disciple of Jesus in the same sense that his disciples were. So if he gives his disciples even specific instructions, I would say they have powerful implications on my life. 
I think another thing we can look at is the book of Acts, where the persecution scattered the church. It says that they preached the word wherever they went. So there we have an example of non-apostles. Even Stephen was a deacon. He was not an apostle. He was proclaiming the gospel. So we certainly have examples uh, that seem to be encouraged in in the book of Acts of of non-apostles preaching the gospel. Um, But even apart from the command, I, I think that if you had the type of community that you believe that that could change the world. If you had, you know, happened upon some kind of utopia magic formula, um, and you didn't share that with other people, then that's that's a little bit unkind toward those people, especially if the af- the, the claims about the afterlife are also correct. Yeah. So I I don't take it upon myself to do God's work. Uh, I have to be very sure that God is talking to me and telling me something specific before I go off and do it in the name of God. Uh, so I don't, I, I do think that evangelism, and you say, you know, you're, you're a disciple and you think that you should be able to take those things generally. I guarantee you, you do not follow the discipleship commands that, uh, Jesus gave when he sent out the 70 and the 72. Um, that's, so I, I don't, sure, I don't are, think you there, do. <laughs> there are, I don't take everything literally, at face value, exactly. I agree. I mean, there's plenty of things like if someone asks of you, give to him. I don't give to every person who's holding a sign by the road. Um, so there are, Jesus was used hyperbole a lot. He was a very extreme teacher. I don't think we should use that as an excuse to not obey him. Okay, but in uh, this case, the, the example I gave, that was not hyperbole. That was a direct, literal uh, instruction sure. that he gave. So you say you're a disciple and you take those discipleship uh, orders literally, you're doing it wrong. No, that's not exactly what I said. I said that I, as a disciple, I believe that any command that he gave to his disciples have powerful implications on my life. So that that example of going out and trusting God to provide, I think that that is a, an example missionaries throughout history have... have. Except you don't upon. obey the specifics of what he told you. Yeah, so I like I said, I don't think that... It, Every specific instruction needs to be followed perfectly. Paul told people to bring his coat and stuff. I mean, I can't bring Paul his coat. Um, so if you're going to be extreme in that sense, to the point of it being sort of ridiculous, no, of course not. No, what but I, Paul, wasn't, Paul, Paul wasn't talking to you. He was talking to Timothy. This is part of my point. Sure. Jesus wasn't talking to you. He was he, talking to the Twelve. So I'm extrapolating a principle from the commands that he gave his disciples— and that principle is, I want you to spread the message. I'm not saying that the exact same that's way— That's not a principle. That's a specific command. And I think that, I think that part of the it's problem— a principle no, it's within not. A, it's, with, it's a principle within a command that has specific instructions no, attached. No, it's a specific command with specific instructions. And I, I think that it's, you know, it's okay, not— Okay, so a, let's separate the command and the instructions then. Let's separate the incidental specific instructions. I mean, I can't—I'm not going to villages of— of the Jews either. I mean, there's specific, nope. there's specific details attached to the command. Let's separate those two then. Yeah, but once again, you're trying to get a principle out of this, and I'm I'm saying there's no principle. Uh, if I I'm, if no, I I'm, if I tell my if I tell my wife who, who I'm separating the command from the specific instructions. That's all I need to do to make my case. No, I don't think if I tell my wife, look, I, I'm feeling peckish. I know you're going to the store. Can you bring me back some applesauce, which is one of my favorite snacks. Um, that is, there's nothing specific about that. I mean, I'm sorry, there's nothing, there's no principle there. It's, it's not a principle that my wife needs to bring me a snack every time she goes to the store. You can't just start extrapolating principles 
out of specific things. And I think that, that feels like what you're doing. And uh, once again, this was my argument when I was a Christian, so I'm not, I'm not reading back into this some kind of uh, atheist agenda. Uh, it, it I think is, that's exact. I think it, that's exactly what a disciple of Jesus should do: is is look at all of Jesus' teachings and see what our rabbi, what sort of a worldview he was trying to convey. Okay, well, I would I would simply disagree with that. And to answer your question again, no, I would not evangelize because I have no marching order to do so. Um, now. D- does that mean that I wouldn't talk about it from time to time in the same way that I talk about football to strangers? Uh, I probably, uh, yeah. but but I'm not honestly. I'm not all that evangelistic. Uh, sure. One would think that I would be more so. I'm a musician. I have an album on iTunes. Nice. I have never told anyone that casually, <laughs> right? I don't. Yeah. It's not like I. It's not like I go around promoting that. Um, I don't actually care if you know. Um, I don't care if you buy it. I don't care. So I'm I'm a, I'm probably the world's worst self promoter uh, you're ever going to find. And um, yeah, I like football. I talk about it to people when football is the conversation, and then I stop talking when the conversation dies. I don't care enough about it. Um, mm-hmm. I have lots of things that I, I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a tech geek. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to I used to write tech uh, as a career. But I don't go around talking to people about Apple versus PC versus Google. Don't care. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, it's not. Uh, it, no, let me. Let me. Don't get me wrong. I got some feels about this. Uh, <laughs> that this is the wrong kind of podcast to find out about them. Um, I do have another blog if you want. <laughs> if you want to follow it, but I don't care enough about it uh, in my real life. If someone um, asks me about a piece of tech that I'm using. I'll I'll try to politely answer their question, but I don't want to have that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And the same is true uh, in terms of religion. Uh, you believe in God, you don't believe in God, great. If the conversation comes up naturally, great. But I'm not looking for, I wasn't looking for ways to contrive uh, a fake com- conversation so that I could turn it into an evangelistic opportunity. Uh, if God wanted to use me in some way, uh, so that it you know it naturally comes up and I can answer someone's question or whatever. Uh, great, but otherwise, no. I did not consider it my mission, uh, at least toward the end of my uh, walk, to go around and try to convert people to uh, Christianity. It's not my job. Okay, what a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I appreciate the question, though. Um, I uh, probably one of the best ones of the day, but. Uh, <laughs> That's that's just what it is. So look, as as I as we close this out, I've, I'm kind of watching the time because we're getting up to that point where I've got to separate this thing out, and I don't want to do it. So, I'm going to talk fast, uh, quick answers. Uh, Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, uh, he gave them a way to uh, show that uh, they're legit. Yeah. Right. Uh, in, in fact, part of his instruction was heal the sick. Period. Mm-hmm. Right? It was very straightforward. In fact, if you asked what their mission was, their mission had nothing to do with talking about Jesus. Now, we assume that it was talking about Jesus and saying, hey, the kingdom's coming. Uh, Jesus, But that's actually not what Jesus instructed in his uh, direct uh, instructions. It was to heal the sick. Yeah. Right? Uh, so they had some magical way of identifying what house to enter. Um, eh, fine, we'll have time to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. And... When they got there, they had a way of verifying their claim. 
So mm-hmm. they didn't have to convince anyone of anything. They, yeah. They just had to heal the sick. We don't have that today. Now. Actually, uh, we do. Okay, fine. So do, do event, should evangelists today have some kind of miraculous uh, uh, event in their pocket to be able to ver- validate who they are? Yes. I really wasn't expecting that answer. I don't know what to say now. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm quasi-charismatic in that I believe that, that healing and, and the other gifts of the Spirit... Just take it away because I'm so lost at this point. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> I, I, I hope that I, I've surprised you multiple times throughout this conversation, but um, <laughs> derailing it. No, yeah, none so, more than that. You have you have shut me up. Take, take it away. So... Obviously, the, the, the apostles couldn't heal everybody, I don't think, because Paul records leaving one of his companions at a certain city sick and um, records God healing this one person so that he could have less anxiety, which if he has anxiety about sickness, that means he can't just magically heal everyone. So I'm not suggesting that Christians should be able to enter a village and just know that as soon as they lay hands on a sick people, they will automatically be healed. Having said that, I do believe that healings— like you said, are the primary biblical way that the gospel is validated. And in modern times, not as much in America, but in places like China and India and the Middle East, that is the way the Bible, I mean, the gospel is being validated. So I I visited some pastors in India who we financially support. And these are these are men who have absolutely no reason to convert from Hinduism to Christianity. They're being ostracized by their families. They're being persecuted. They lose everything. The reason they do it is because they're convinced that it is true based on miraculous healings. The one guy said that he was paralyzed, visited uh, a ton of Hindu temples for years, finally decided as a last try he's going to try Jesus, went to a church. Um, the pastor prayed for him. He was instantly healed and he can walk around. Now, he could be lying to me. I kind of doubt it, um, but I mean, that's possible. The reason why I doubt it is because I hear so many of these miracle accounts connected to praying in the name of Jesus that I think that there's a pattern that's established, and I've also seen some of them as firsthand testimony. I don't understand that, though, because in India, in Hinduism, uh, miracles are, um, that's part of the game. So, I mean, you get healed under Hinduism, too. So maybe he just wasn't pleasing to the particular Hindu god. Uh, that he was going for. But, I mean, you can talk to as many Hindus who say, I'm a Hindu because of the miracles. Sure. So other other religions have miracle claims also. And I don't, I'm not making the claim that there's only one spiritual being in the world. I think there are lesser spiritual beings, whether you want to call them demons or um, demigods or whatever. I mean, the Old Testament word Elohim is, is used for spiritual beings other than God also. So I think we live in a densely populated spiritual universe and people in other religions might be being healed by lesser spiritual beings. Maybe it's, um, you know, a miracle account that's not valid. I don't think that any other religion has as many miracle accounts nearly as Christianity. Uh, I don't have any studies that I can prove that, um, but I'm, I'm kind of stating that anecdotally. Maybe I'm biased as a Christian. I don't know. Uh, I just know that Christianity is growing in places where it absolutely should not be growing. Well, that, that seems really weird uh, from you uh, coming from India. Surely you know about Satya Sai Baba, may he live forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a he was a great miracle worker. 
mm-hmm. I know he's already dead. There's there's irony there. Um, he was a great miracle worker. He even raised a couple of people from the dead. I mean, he, lots of people swear by him. And um, so, you know, Hinduism is is ripe with miracle claims. I don't I don't find it less uh, miracle claimy than Christianity. Um, they they're in fact. I don't know. I don't know that all Hindus would be the same. So there, there might be different flavors of well, Hinduism. But the the charismatic side of Hinduism is just as charismatic charismatic as the Christian side. It is. It is interesting to me that people like the Prime Minister of India feel so threatened by Christianity. I mean, if if the spiritual beings that are animating their religion are more powerful than Jesus, then why would he be trying to shut down evangelism? Why is Christianity growing so rapidly? I don't know. You could, you could ask the same thing in, about the conservatives in America trying to shut down uh, Islam or anything like that. Uh, you know, we seem to be just as afraid of other people's religion. I don't think it actually has to do with the, the, the power of the gods, per se. Well, I'm certainly not afraid of other religions. Well, all right, but uh, again, you don't—you don't, you don't really think of yourself as an American. <laughs> That's correct. So, but if you if you just extrapolate your argument out further, you can see that Christians behave the same way. Sure, it's a good point. I mean, I, I understand that. I, I don't like. I said I don't have any studies in front of me that I can prove to you that Christians see more miracles than other religions. I th- anecdotally, it seems true, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm biased. I think the the point of this discussion is whether or not I'm biblical in, in my approach to evangelism by uh, expecting miracles to be part of it. And, and yes, I certainly think that that should be the case. Sure, I'm still trying to recover from that. So, um, <laughs> so that being the case, if uh, an evangelism comes and knocks on my door and doesn't heal me of any of my many affirmities, I mean, they've got their choice. Uh-huh. There's a, there's a big menu of them. They can take one of the small ones, yeah. uh, and then we can have a conversation, right? Yeah. Um, so if if they can't even do that, am I not justified in sending them on their way? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm trying to think through it biblically. If if there was examples of the gospel being proclaimed with no miracles, and and yet there being an expectation to repent. I, I think so. I don't think that every time the gospel is preached, say in the book of Acts, that there were also miracles accompanying it. Okay. Uh, and yet Couldn't we just were... d- deploy one of the Christian tricks, though, and say, yeah, but it didn't mention it every time, but it mentioned it often enough to set a pattern so we, we can uh, extrapolate that it happened? That's completely different than the point I was making earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I've, no, I know it's different than the point you were making earlier, but this is a, this is how Christians talk uh, in in situations like this. Well, um, we, and, to, and, and literally, to, I would say it's probably a pretty good point. Um, if if we're just looking at the literature, that it's it establishes a pattern. And then you can't you can't use every instance to say okay, but it didn't say those same words and say those same events happened. If if you can be pretty sure that a pattern has been established, sure. I think I think a, a, a very good pattern is when you're taking the gospel to an area that has never heard it, um, and in within that locality, at least one miracle generally occurs, and that validates the gospel. I think that's a a fair pattern. Um, and I, I think parts of the world where the gospel has never reached, or I, I know from firsthand experience, that those parts of the world do see more miracles than places that have already heard it and rejected so it. So once a place gets a miracle, there can be no more miracles? Is that is, is that 
what you're saying there? No, I'm just saying that that's the biblical pattern. Well, is but that so you're talking about a place. At least there'll be a miracle in a new area. What about a what about a new generation? So you know, my, maybe my grandparents believed in God, but my grandparents were superstitious. They believed in ghosts too. Uh, I could care less what they believed. I, I'm a different generation. Maybe God spoke to them. Uh, if He wants to talk to me, He's going to have to speak to me. Why is Why is it fair? that he gave somebody somewhere a miracle, but then says, oh, okay, well, you're from the same place, though. You don't get a miracle. Well, the barriers to receiving the gospel are greater in areas where they've never heard it, clearly. There's been, the, the ground has never been plowed. But so I, don't think areas- that, I don't think that's true. If God is willing to do miracles for those people, then the barriers are much lower. The barriers sure, are greater for a person like me who lives in America and is surrounded by frauds. I'm going to need to see uh, some some genuine sign. I'm the one who needs the sign. Uh, no, I think the barriers are definitely greater in parts of the world where no long. N- not only have they never heard it, but they're going to face extreme persecution if they do believe in Jesus. And so the miracles, and that's the biblical pattern too, is that they were exper- they would experience a lot of persecution upon embracing the message. And that's the biblical pattern that we see is that a miracle is employed in a locality where they've never heard the gospel and where they're going to experience persecution. So if you grow up in a, a part of the world where you're saturated with the message of Christ, you've possibly you've been brought up in the Christian church and you face zero persecution upon believing in Jesus and you still expect a miracle, then I think maybe Jesus would say what he said once that you know an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Like there are situations in which seeking for a sign is not is not biblical. If, if we're going, I mean, there, there's another question on, you know, the the problem of divine you get a sign. Where, you get a sign, but you, no, no sign for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God is bringing down the barriers of, of access to, to try to present, you know, to, to make it more valid or more possible for people in very difficult situations to believe in him. I appreciate now, that, the that, answer. It seems unfair. I find it unsatisfying, a, but sure. That's, no, it's, it's actually bringing it. I think it's unfair that you're not persecuted for your faith. So you could say that the two cancel each other out. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's perfectly the same as far as like accessibility to believing in the message for every person on the planet. And that comes down to the different problem of divine hiddenness, which we can discuss, but right now we're simply discussing whether uh, the biblical pattern is being employed by, I guess, by me. I think that's the question at hand. And I'm saying I I think that it makes sense why there's more miracles in places like that. I think that actually is biblical. (coughs) Okay. Um, Look, I appreciate your answer. I I appreciate it enough so that I'm not going to pursue it (laughs) Further, I might get creamed in the comments for not <laughs> for not pushing it further. Um, so, last question. I'm just uh, narrowing it down here. Um, okay. In in my conclusion, I talked about uh, religious fraud. I talked about multiple choice. Uh, uh-huh. There are too too many choices. Uh, in fact, and there's no way for the non-believer to tell the difference between. Uh, a legitimate message and messenger from God and a non-legitimate one. So the miracles would kind of help that. Uh, and I would say that in our culture, that's one of the reasons why we need it even more, because we we have no way of differentiating. So, Sure you do. Don't don't be lazy. Go read the Bible and, and study it and, and use logic and, so your, and try your to... your message for the non-believer is go read the Bible? Really? I, I think that they should be like Bereans and compare it to the scriptures to see if it's actually accurate. Yeah. 
if if you are confused, if you've heard a lot of different versions of the gospel and you're you believe that one of them is possibly true, but you don't know which one, then yes, I suggest you don't be lazy, but you actually go study. Well, I don't believe that any of them are possibly true. Okay, well, then that's a different conversation, but the dilemma you're setting up is someone who's confused because he has so many different messengers coming to him, well, not the, someone who believes that none of them is correct. Okay, but someone who is maybe vulnerable to that type of message might end up, for instance, falling in the camp of the Westboro Baptist Church because they got there first. Um, that seems like a pretty bad way of coming to Jesus because you that person that that honest and sincere person who's been scared out of their mind into thinking that they're going to burn in hell any moment um uh they're doing the best they can they wouldn't know how to read the bible if you handed them an annotated bible honestly that that doesn't help that's 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 a ridiculous suggestion to me they they simply have no way of parsing this book to figure out whether the person in the Westboro was telling them the truth or not. Why would they have no way? Because the person from the Westboro Baptist Church is going to be using the Bible. And so it's it's going to look to that person like, okay, well, this was in the Bible. I guess I have to believe it. No, you don't need to just believe everything your teachers tell you to do. They don't know. They They wouldn't even know to doubt what is being said. You're just, you are, what you're saying doesn't map onto how humans actually are. There's actually plenty of people leaving the Westboro Baptist Church and, and pointing out the flaws. So it, it it's not like they're just without any hope of ever coming to the truth. Okay, but not everybody leaves. And the fact is, the, the problem that some get there in the first place is, is bad. And often those who leave end up becoming atheists. Now, just taking the Christian side for a moment, that's a bad outcome. Yeah, a better outcome would have been for them not to have been uh, been there in the first place, and sure. they had no method of knowing whether that was good or not. Say a Mormon I don't think comes. That's true. I don't. I do. Let's say a Mormon comes to the door, uh, and they get that presentation, and they read the Book of Mormon, and they feel a burning in their bosom, um, because that's what the Mormon said. You know, this would be a sign, and they're doing the best they can. They're not theologians. They're, they're just people doing their jobs every day and coming home, and, and now they've got this thing to worry about because someone's told them that they're going to get hit by a car and die and go to hell and you know get beaten with many stripes. Uh, and now they're, now they're trying to figure out what they need to do to protect them and their family. And so well, a Mormon Mormons comes... Are pretty, Mormons uh, Mor- are pretty dope people. They're pretty nice. I don't think they'll get beaten with many stripes. Well, but so, but <laughs> there's, there's something... Um, so the the fact of the matter is now uh, that person has that in front of them. They don't know whether the Mormons telling the truth or not. They read the Book of Mormon; it seems to make sense to them. They looked at the passages that the Mormons told them to. They read it the way the Mormons read it; it looked made sense to them, so they went for it. I know people like this uh, who have yeah. joined the Mormon Church. They didn't do anything wrong. They there was just I think they did do something wrong in that they're they're believing in a worldview that has eternal implications for them without doing a little bit of research. I mean, it's very easy to dismantle Mormonism if you do a little bit of research online. And I think if, if they're going to believe a message that has such if, if that was If that was true, no one it, Mormonism wouldn't be one of the fastest-growing religions in the world. That's simply not true. It's true because people make a mistake of not researching. 
If we want to discuss Mormonism, we can. It's one of the easiest worldviews to dismantle. It's it's completely. I mean, Joseph Smith made plenty of false prophecies. He was a, a scallywag of a person. So did Jesus. Oh boy, that's a whole nother discussion. Well, I'm just saying. So look, you 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 think that it's so easy, but you're coming from a Christian-centric point of view. Okay, so let's lay. If we have an opportunity, let's lay out the arguments for and against Joseph making false prophecies versus Jesus, and let the audience decide for Only themselves. Only need one false prophecy for it to be a false prophecy. I agree. So that said, uh, yeah, we can we can do that. But my point is, you're you're you know putting it on the average person to know the difference between all of these things up front and somehow be able to figure it out and recognize that that guy's uh, lying and that guy's telling the truth and that guy's from God and that guy's not from God. They're, they don't need to do it up front. I mean, they. I think a, a decision about your eternal well-being and about what metaphysical worldview you should take should should be a process that you where you take years of studying and where you expose yourself to opposing worldviews. That's one of the primary reasons why I talk to atheists like you is – if, if this isn't true, I don't want to believe it. And so I'm exposing myself regularly to people who challenge my worldview, which full disclosure, atheists challenge my worldview a lot more than any other worldview, like that more than other religious worldviews. So Christian atheists. Why, Christian what? atheists. Sure. That's Athe- why which I, is to say atheists from a Christian uh, society or background. Muslim sure. atheists challenge Muslim worldviews. You just, yeah, you just Chinese, aren't a Muslim. Chinese atheists don't challenge anyone <laughs> because they don't really think about it much. Well, um, and they'll be killed. So, uh, well, no, not Chinese. I'm sorry, Chinese Christians. So, so yeah, what, well, my point is, I think you are do you are doing something wrong by not examining the evidence. And I think that if you examine the evidence in the situation of a Mormon, you would you would reject Mormonism. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're wrong. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk you about You believe that. Mormonism then? No, <laughs> I don't. No, I don't believe your, uh, your suggestion that it's easy for a person who is not religious, not theologically trained, uh, to tell the difference between these various religions and know, uh, with, with a cursory inspection, which is right and which is not. Well, most people are, are just shallow and, and don't examine their beliefs much. They just believe whatever their tribe around them believes. So I think that's a wrong thing for them to do. But I also think there's another factor at play, which is if you do believe in God and in Jesus, you will believe that the Spirit will reveal to them truth and error and that they are making a free will choice to choose error. Okay, so everyone who went to the wrong religion freely chose error. When they, when At they some point, if if they did not, it would be unjust for them to be punished. And I say it is unjust um, so, because and, I don't I don't see any evidence. This is just you are trying to save the story, to, to save God from being immoral. That you would say that, but I don't see anything in the story and anything in realities that suggests that God uh, has any active part in helping people find the true path and avoid the bad path. Now, once again, I can, I can tell you story after story after story where that exact thing happened. Okay, um, that's fine. But you would say uh, uh, many would say that the church that I grew up in was a bad church, an evil church. And if I had only uh, been to this other denomination, this other religious tradition, then I'd still be a Christian today. And I would say that's not my fault. I, I didn't a I didn't decide uh, to whom I was born. Uh, and B, I when I, when I, when I did study these things, 
uh, I had the materials that I had. I used the resources that I had. I used the mind that I had to make the best decisions that I could. Sure. Uh, and so if there was some better option out there, and it, by the way, I was a leader in three different denominations. It's not like I didn't look for options. Maybe I just didn't find the right one. If I was not brought to the right option by the spirit magically with all that I did, then that claim is bullshit. Okay, so I, I guess your claim is that the fact that you're an atheist disproves Christianity or disproves my claim? It, it at the very least disproves your claim, I think. Because if God was acting in the way that you suggest to lead people in the right way, I'd still be a Christian. So there's a—I actually had the same discussion with an atheist friend of mine, and I, I'm not sure—I'm not convinced about this, but this is something that I did think of. So if, if God— God creates humanity with a free choice, and he has foreknowledge. He, he knows who will freely choose to accept him and who will freely choose to reject him. Is that a philosophical uh, proposition that you can believe as a hypothetical, actual, logical scenario so far? Not without buying into Calvinism. <laughs> so no, no, that's even Arminianism, that he, he actually foreknows it. So he, it's, it's a free choice, but he knows in advance what his creatures will choose. Right. So, I, if, I, if I appreciate, I appreciate where you're going with that. The answer is no. Uh, I do. I do want you. To, I do want you to finish, but I just <laughs> want you to know this is not something that I haven't thought about or has. I, I figured out that you grant very little, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think you'd be surprised right, at what finish. I'd be willing to grant for conversation. <laughs> if it if it's true, then God has very little motivation to reveal himself to someone who he knows will reject them freely, even if he revealed himself. I would agree so with that. that. Could be, that so I, I don't, I'm not claiming that that's you, but I'm claiming that people who die in a state of unbelief, there's a, a couple things that could, could have happened. Number one, they could have freely rejected truth that they knew was true. And if that happened, they're probably not going around trumpeting it, which is why you don't have all these stories of people doing that. And the other option would be that, they it, had they been presented with the truth, they would have rejected it, and God knew that, and that's why He didn't present it to them. Sure. So, so if you if you die an atheist, I think one of those two things is true. If you, I'm not saying you're in that camp. The only thing to disprove the fact that you're in that camp would be to become a Christian. But I'm saying that if you die a non-believer, that that is one of those two could be the case. Sure. So again, uh, a matter of discussion for another week. Although I hope. I hope we get to talk about this in the comment section uh, a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I would agree with that. I would also say, though, that that's kind of a, that's an evil God scenario. Um, Why is he obligated to give revelation to people who he knows would reject him? That's sort of a waste of resources. Not that God has. Well, but I, I just, I find, I find that explanation a cheat. Um so he knows. If you were God, you would present. You would. You would. It's. It's kind of like me asking a girl or uh, asking a girl to marry me who I know would say no. Like, what's the point of of embarrassing myself in that way? Well, first of all, we're not we're not gods, and so when we say we know that they would say no, I'm I'm a salesman, and I can tell you one of the biggest mistakes that junior salesmen make is they get a sense early on of whether the person is going to say yes or no without going through the process, that person will never make commission. Um, everyone I talk to is a yes. 
So that's all the more reason for <laughs> so, God to not reveal himself to, because he knows that this person won't reject him. Okay. So you're just proving my point with that analogy. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that is the attitude that I have to go into it with because I am not, sure. uh, I'm, I'm not a God. I'm not omniscient. Uh, and I know that a person who accepts the call thinking that they're going to reject me can be mm-hmm. swayed. And, yes. and I'm good enough to at least take on that challenge and play that game, and I can win more often than not. A junior salesman cannot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, they are a bit more fatalistic about that. Uh, that said, you know, if I had the power of God to know who's going to say yes and no, I would only talk to the people that I know would say yes. I would yeah. never even bother talking to the people who would say no. So and, that's my okay, but in, in, in this scenario, I also see no reason why God created the people who would say no, since well, he knew that they would say no. There is a, there is a philosophical argument about the, it, God's inability to create only people who would freely choose to say yes. Like that, that seems that's somewhat absurd. I know William Lane Craig makes that argument. I'm not prepared to defend it, that but I'm sure it's like having that. your cake and eating it too. I mean, especially after your last argument, but now you're going to tell me, Oh, but he, he needs the people who will say no. Well, you could say that he, he created it. I mean, I'm just, I'm this thinking is, this is why I was saying evil God scenario just a, a moment ago. Uh, sure. Like I said, I'm not prepared to make that philosophical argument. I know it has been made elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. So at least you can see why I would say that would be an evil God thing. So if, no, I don't, if, if, I don't if, grant that without reviewing that argument. <laughs> well, but if God knows that I would say no. Now, your, your argument was, why should he bother giving me the right answer if he knows I'm going to reject it? Yeah. But if he knows I'm going to reject it, why bother putting me here in the first place? Maybe he maybe he created uh, the world and cr- created the people and doesn't know what they're going to do until after he creates them. I don't know. Well, that's, that's a, a really dumb argument. <laughs> that really sounds like a good one for me to end on, but probably not fair to you. Let's <laughs> so. end that as, as the grand finale. So it makes it sound like you really made me look stupid the yeah. whole way. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> In uh, in gotcha debate tactics. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Let's if, if we can. I'll try to I'll try to find that uh, paper by by William Lane Craig, and maybe we can link it in the show notes. Sure, that's that's fine. And so, I know he he was positing that some sort of argument as a response to why God wouldn't reveal him, or or why people would die in parts of the world where they've never heard the gospel. I, I think that's what he was responding to. But I think you could. Make you know it's it's right. a similar again, objection. It, yeah similar objection. So rather than follow that up, and again, I uh, again commenters bring this one up because <laughs> I want to talk <laughs> about this one more. Um, I'm going to give you uh, a few minutes here uh, to give a, a final statement. Uh, so I know you haven't written one, but we've had a long conversation. Think on your feet. Give people. Um, Give people something to remember you by other than the last ridiculous thing you said. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I will forego uh, making a final statement. But I will say this, I guess, is my final statement. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, it's been fun. It's, uh, it's great, right? I mean, I, I could do this again. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, 
audience, do, do, do you want to see us pick up uh, some of these threads? Which threads would you like uh, to see us pick up in future conversations? Um, skeptics and Seekers, uh, .wordpress.com. Email me at skepticsandseekers uh, at gmail.com. Hey, uh, feel free to talk to uh, Titus as well. Uh, I will pass on any messages that you give me, or he can give me uh, he can give you his uh, contact information, such as he will, and you can talk to him directly. Uh, Titus, the last word is yours. You can have as many minutes as you like. All right. Well, it was interesting to me that a lot of this conversation went down the trail of me presenting a Christian worldview that is somewhat different from a lot of mainstream Christianity. And I, I, when I call myself a Christian, I, I like to separate myself from evangelical American Christianity, the kind of Christianity that would put Donald Trump into office and say that I I believe that a, a lot of Western Christianity has fundamentally betrayed the way of Jesus. Um, I know that David isn't even cool with Jesus, but a lot of, a lot of people who have objections to Christianity, like Gandhi, are, look at the teachings and life of Jesus and find them very compelling. And if, if anyone's listening to this who th- that is the case, I would encourage you to examine um, you know, different movements throughout history who have taken his words very seriously. I mean, the Anabaptists were one such movement, but there's plenty of other movements like that who have accomplished a lot of good. Another thing we didn't talk about is the enormous amount of humanitarian aid work that Christian mission organizations do. And that's one thing that I think should be married to a proclamation of the gospel. Uh, Christians establish hospitals, universities, modern science, and they've uh, relieved poverty throughout the world in in incredible ways. Um, and, and there's various studies that talk about, you know, who who's more generous, Christians and, and, or atheists. And I know there's studies that go both ways. I would say the majority of studies have shown that Christians give more, um, but that's something that, like David says, you can take up in the comment section. Um, uh, the, the, the final thought I have is if you are an atheist, if let's put it this way, if I was an atheist I, and, and it was true that I would um, experience an abundant life as part of the community of Jesus and that um, if I don't accept Jesus, then I'll face eternal death, if that was true and I didn't believe it, I would want everyone in the world to come at me and pester me and knock on my door. Now, I'm not saying that's what we Christians should do, but if I was an atheist, I would want people to do that. Like I would want – if this is true, I want to know it, um, even if it annoys me to hear it. So it, it as an atheist, I, I would be somewhat sympathetic to Christian missionary work. In fact, I, I once heard an atheist say, how much can a Christian hate – a non-Christian by not sharing the gospel to them. Like if you actually think this is true, like it's it's actually hateful not to share it. Um, so yeah, that's my final word. It's been great being on this show. Uh, it was two hours of my life that went by very quickly. So I appreciate it, David. It's been fun. Okay. And uh, with that, next week, um, I actually don't know <laughs> at this point. Uh, so... Uh, the sausage is being made thusly, people. This is actually a show that will be aired next week as I sit, not this week. This week's show will be recorded 
in about one hour <laughs> with uh, with uh, Darren, and so this will actually follow that show. So I don't know in my look ahead schedule what next week uh, will be, but it will be good. I think that what I'm going to do by now, uh, most of you know that I recorded an episode of Unbelievable uh, with Justin Brierley. Uh, my interlocutor was uh, Jonathan McClatchy, and uh, we uh, spoke on the subject of the resurrection. And I might do a clips show from that um, with, a, with someone to, to maybe discuss some of that, but I won't be able to air the entire program. Um, I will also be a guest on another podcast uh, next week as you hear this, or maybe this week as you hear this. Uh, And so there might be some opportunity to air some of those as well. So we will see uh, what happens next week, but it's going to be good. We'll get more of Mr. T. Don't worry. We'll see you all real soon.